Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Cadaver Lab podcast. I am Mike. And uh, as usual, we've got a ton of stuff for the show uh, this episode. Um, you know, we have all the usuals. I want to talk about a couple of things. I know that I promised to do some comic reviews, things like that. And those are all coming. I also read a couple of awesome books. But the fact that this is late, plus the fact that this is going to be a long episode anyway, um, I'll probably just skip those. Uh, uh, however, I just wanted to make a shout out to David Dunwoody. I'm reading his book, Dark Entities, right now. It's a collection of short stories. It is fantastic. Um, I also read Hollywood Monster by Robert England, kind of a an autobiography from him, and it was actually really good as well. However, I, I'm going to do full-on uh, reviews of those and talk a little bit more about them. But like I said, since this is already so late, and the episode is already so long, I will save those for later, and I'll also talk about the Hack Slash Omnibus Volume 1, uh, hopefully next episode. A couple of things I want to mention before we get into the show. I'll make this intro very short. I just wanted to mention one thing that I saw. It, it's... Uh, I was contacted by Charlie Ruckus, who runs a movie production company called Ruckus Productions. I just basically wanted to make sure everybody goes to check out his uh, Trilogy of Blood trailer that right now he has it on YouTube, but I assume that you guys are going to want to go to ruckusproductions.com, R-U-C-K-U-S, productions.com, because the trailer there is uh, uncensored. The, the movie looks great by the trailer. The tagline, horror, hillbillies, and hooters. Who could beat that? Anyhow, I also want to mention a couple of things. Uh, I just want to thank Ferguson Up and Logan for putting out the cadaver tracks from dusk till dawn. Uh, if you haven't already downloaded that, make sure to grab that and watch the movie with your pals here at Cadaver Lab. How'd that sound? One last thing before we get into the episode is uh, wanted to mentioned that the music for this episode um, is being provided by the Burt Bacharach Fight Club. Go visit them at myspace.com slash the Burt B-U-R-T Bacharach B-A-C-H-A-R-A-K Fight Club and uh, go check them out. They uh, I'll be playing them throughout the episode and uh, I'll be playing some Devil Driver during the main part of the episode where me and Johnny are talking about the Unholy Quad. It's actually, we talk about three-fourths of the Unholy Quad. But anyway, without further ado, let's get right into it. It's time to descend into Hell Night here at Slasher Central, brought to you by the Cadaver Lab. Hey, you want a beer? Or do you want to smoke some pot? We love premarital sex. It is Hell Knight, 
and a quartet of sorority and fraternity pledges has to spend the evening of their initiation inside spooky Garth Manor. The mansion was the site of a gruesome multiple murder where the owner killed his wife and three of his four deformed children before taking his own life. Now the young college students have to contend with mischievous upperclassmen that are trying to scare them out of their wits and something even more repulsive that is roaming the premises and it doesn't take kindly to strangers. Welcome to Garth Manor. In order to be a member of Alpha Sigma Rho, one has to do what? To stay in Garth Manor one night. And why is this night so special? Because 12 years ago, Raymond Garth murdered his family here and then committed suicide. And when the police arrived, they discovered a note written by Raymond Garth describing the entire gruesome act. But strangely, they only discovered three dead bodies. Andrew is still believed by some to be living somewhere within this house. Pray for day, hell night. So let's talk about Hell Knight. Hell Knight came out in 1981, and Hell Knight is notable for its lead actress, Linda Blair, as Marty Gaines, who you might know from a little movie called The Exorcist. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Now, she's not the only notable thing about Hell Knight. Hell Knight was produced by Erwin Yablons. That name may not ring a bell, but he's one of the primary producers of Halloween. And as I'll get to later, there are a lot of similarities between Hell Knight and the Halloween franchise, or at least the first Halloween. The movie is directed by Tom DeSimone, who went on to such great flicks as Reform School Girls, basically exploitation flicks. And before Hell Knight, he was, well... Basically, he was a porn director. Now, the other stars in the movie, majorly the co-star in the movie is Peter Barton as Jeff Reed. Now, he went on to star in a very popular role in Friday the 13th as Doug. Tangerine, she is... Sarah? Can't you mind? Who is Molly? Polly. Hey, Polly. Whoops. Dropped my bar of soap, old buddy. Lucky it in here with me, old pal. Ho, 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 ho. The other stars in the movie, uh, there's Vincent Van Patten as Seth, who played a major role in Rock and Roll High School. And then finally, Kevin Brophy as Peter Bennett. And <laughs> Peter Bennett is the president of the fraternity in the movie. And he's pretty much what you'd call a bro. What is a bro? A bro's an 18 to 24-year-old male who, who wears Birkenstock sandals watches Family Guy, plays Ultimate Frisbee, and wears an upside-down visor or a baseball cap with a pre-frayed brim. You know, a bro. So Hell Knight starts out with a bang. You open on a fraternity party of epic proportions, and this is what I call the film version of the Greek system. It doesn't really exist. 
And this was exemplified recently by the movie Sorority Row, which was the remake of A House on Sorority Row, where you had these giant, massive parties in this house, this sorority house. Parties where you just had a trampoline in the middle and people drinking and chicks running around in like naked or half underwear. And this just doesn't really exist. Not on this level. But it's really fun to watch in the movies. So right away you're getting a pretty interesting scene with a giant fraternity party. The movie is very quickly cut in half as the fraternity and sorority party moves to Garth Manor and only four sorority or and fraternity pledges are left at this creepy Garth Manor to spend the night for their initiation into the fraternity system and the sorority system. And uh, it's here that most of the action takes place in the movie. I'd say about 90% of it. Now, this first half of the movie is pretty slow. It's a slow build-up to the eventual killing. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Of course, the fraternity president and two others sneak into Garth Manor to scare the shit out of the new fraternity and sorority pledges. And they have all these cool booby traps and gizmos designed to scare them. Like one's pretty interesting where they have a gizmo that will lock the door and unlock it. And you see that the fraternity pledges find it. So it's pretty cool. It keeps you engaged. And what's funny about this is that these three people are sneaking in there to scare everybody. And they're going, shh, shh, we don't want the pledges to hear us. And here is where you get your first kill, where the mongoloid killer of the movie grabs one of the girls. And she's screaming, and he cuts her head off, and she's just screaming, and nobody hears it. I mean, it's just crazy. It just makes absolutely no sense. So the movie finally gets rolling, and this movie, wow. Here's the big thing about this movie. It's the pace. This movie is wildly uneven. Every time there's any sort of action to the movie, it slows down immediately to build suspense. So there's the pre-action suspense. You know, somebody hears a noise, they go in and and research the noise. And then there might be a, a fake jump scare or something. So then it slows down again and you get more suspense. And then you might even get more and more suspense. There's a a scene right in the middle of the movie that is just exemplified by this. After supposedly these two characters have been messing around in a bed, the chick is laying in there in the bed. And of course she's fully clothed. I don't know how they had sex and she decided to reclothe after sex, I guess. But she hears a noise. So she goes and inspects the noise and she finds that it's a closet with this uh, wardrobe and a mirror there. So... We get this suspense scene where she goes to investigate the noise, and all it is is a mirror. So she totally forgets the noise and sits there and starts inspecting the mirror. Then something pops out of one of the drawers. Whoa, jump scare. Then we get more suspense. And it's just a really long, protracted scene with no payoff at the end. And this happens throughout the movie. In fact, there are multiple times where characters will find a dead body, and then later will use that dead body as another jump scare for a different set of characters later, which is just redundant and annoying. So the real killer of this movie is the pace, and it really hurts it all the way through. And then we've got to go to our slasher staples. For example, sex. You want blood and boobs in movies, right? 
Well, this movie is pretty light on both of them. In fact, the big uh, triumphant sex scene, I'm using air quotations just to let you know, is just so lame. There's two characters. They're both fully clothed, pretty much. I mean, you know, they're, they're in their underwear. And they're getting it on, and most of it is shown on the wall, like in these shadow, <laughs> these reflections of them on the wall. And it's just... It's really pathetic, and it's done in two parts. I, apparently they have sex, then they fall asleep, and then they decide to have sex again. And they never really take their clothes off, and it's just, wow. I mean, not what I wanted. Is that all you're interested in, sex? What are you talking about? I mean, don't you do anything but drink and screw. And then there is the characters. Now, in a slasher movie, you know, you don't necessarily have to have really in-depth characters, although that is what I like. Again, I come from the school of Halloween and the early slashers where they really set up your characters, or at least you liked the characters. In this movie, really, there's nothing to latch on to. As I mentioned, there's Linda Blair in the lead, who is really attractive, even now today in her you know, older, I don't know, 40s or 30s. But she is very attractive, even now today. And in this movie, it's hard not to like her, but... She's so clearly established early as the virgin. And she actually comes off as, as a bit of a bitch or even boring. What a little twat. We should have left her behind. Her behind is the best part. We should have kept her behind and left the rest of her. She just isn't that likable. As soon as she meets the character that is basically positioned as her romantic interest in the movie, the Jeff Reed character, she says that she doesn't like him because he's rich and you just really don't like her right away. And you don't get to see anything from her or any of the other characters. And then, of course, there is Jeff Reed, played by Peter Barton, and he's just no fun. He's rich and he's whiny. He's uninteresting. If I didn't know him from Friday the 13th, he would just be a non-entity to me, which is really what most of these characters are. And then there's another character there, this uh, guy who's a surfer dude named Seth who's just foppish and, again, forgettable. He's got really platinum uh, blonde hair. He reminds me a lot of Matthew McConaughey. I mean, he's just totally like, dude, man. He even uses this ridiculous dialogue throughout the movie. And then there's this running joke about him and his name. Uh, the girl, the party girl in the movie, uh, keeps calling him the wrong name. I'll keep you warm, Wes. The name is Seth. Oh, Wes. <laughs> It's Seth, David. Seth! What is interesting about his character is that he does use common sense, though. Throughout the movie, he does a number of things that you wouldn't expect slasher movie characters to do. As soon as he finds one of the dead bodies, he jets out of the movie and really takes action. And he actually leaves the premises of Garth Manor, goes to the police station, and tries to get help at the police station... And for some reason, the police don't believe him, which was a part that really I had trouble believing. And so when he doesn't get help from the police, he then decides to steal a shotgun. He sees a room where there's a bunch of guns just laid out there. He slips into the room, grabs one of the guns, loads up, and then slips out the back window of the police station. Now, obviously, this is 1981, and part of this movie's charm, if anything, is the dated aspect of the movie. It's kind of interesting to see this in that I think back in the day, this probably wasn't too far from the truth. I think it is stretching things, but really, I just don't think that um, things were as strict and paranoid as they are these days. But I'm getting uh, off the beaten track. 
There's the final character played by the party girl. And again, this is a girl that is... <laughs> the whole movie, she has... She seems to have no purpose other than to want to have sex. She has this sexy British accent, and she's talking about doing drugs. She's the party girl archetype. But what's ironic is that she never escapes her bra and panties throughout the entire movie, even though pretty much the entire movie she is in her bra and panties. So, you know, not really giving us what we want as a slasher movie. And then there's the dialogue. Man, pretty bad. I'm going to ask him for an extra pair of long underwear because it's getting as cold as a hound's pecker in December out here. Wow, this place is pretty radical. Oh, my gosh. This is one radical chick. And there's that dialogue by the uh, the dude. This The dude, uh, we'll just call him Matthew McConaughey, too. And his dialogue kind of reminds me of something. What, what does it remind me of? Yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, radical. I haven't heard that in a long time. Now, I don't want to be overly negative. The movie does have some effective scenes. There are maybe very rarely some decent gore scenes. Right in the middle of the movie, one of the characters finds a severed head, and it's pretty effective. Mainly, it's done through the oldest trick in the book. You can tell it's the actual actress with her head through something, and it's made to look like... Her head has been severed, but it's done very well. In fact, you see a couple bodies, kind of the aftermath shots that are also pretty effective. And then there's one scene where a couple characters are in this room and there's this tapping that they hear as soon as they enter the room. And they investigate this room and it happens to be a dead body that's outside the window that's tapping against the glass. And this is pretty effective, but of course, this body has already been found earlier in the movie by a different character, so it's kind of muted, the uh, the impact of this kill or reveal. And then there's another cool scene right in the middle where these two characters are in the foreground and they're lamenting their situation, they're trying to decide how they're going to get out of here, and in the very background, this rug that is on the floor starts rising up and there's this form underneath the rug. Because in the manor, of course, there's all these hidden passages and secret doors. So this is a pretty effective scene because as they're talking, you're looking in the background and you're seeing this rug lifting up and this scary figure rising in the background. So there are some effective scenes in the movie, but they are far and few between. And the movie is long. It feels very long. As I mentioned before, the movie feels like a weird amalgamation of Halloween and Friday the 13th, but not as effective as either. This movie, again, was produced by the exact same producer as the first Halloween, and this comes about about the same time. I, no, I think it's just after Friday the 13th. So there's no gore, which is ironic. There's hardly any nudity, but you can tell that there are undertones of Friday the 13th anywhere from the score to the main killer, who is this mongoloid killer. And a movie like this really shows you how effective Friday the 13th is. The formula for Friday the 13th works. 
there's a lot of partying, a lot of characters that are having a good time, and the, the pace of these Friday the 13th movies are pretty effective. I mean, they're schlock, they're trash, but they're good schlock and trash. And it's made all the more apparent when you see a movie like Hell Knight, which is trying to emulate that formula and failing miserably. It doesn't uh, give you the rewards that Friday the 13th does, like gore or sex. And really, the pace is so uneven that you can't even enjoy the tension or the suspense that Halloween has. So that's Hell Knight. Uh, I have made a slasher scale now to basically give you an idea of whether a slasher is good or not in my book. Now, the slasher scale consists of three different areas, blood, boobs, and party. In blood, I would say the blood in this movie or the gore in this movie is good, not great. The boobs in this movie are pretty much none. And the partying in this movie, again, I would say good. There's not a whole lot of it. So, on a slasher movie scale, this movie is okay. It's a uh, it's an artifact from a different time, 1981, and it is one of the bigger slashers in that whole period for various reasons, probably because it was one of the first. Now, I did want to just give a couple slasher facts about the movie. This was the last movie to be released by Compass International Pictures, who originally distributed Halloween. They also had a hit with the movie Blood Beach. But aside from Halloween, Blood Beach, and Hell Night, I guess they really didn't utilize the goodwill that they got from Halloween. So that's my slasher for the week. Check it out if you think that you're a hardcore slasher fan. But really, if slashers aren't your obsession like they are mine, I would probably say skip this one. Sounds nice and kinky to me. Too bad you're not double-jointed. Because if you were, you'd be able to bend over and kiss your ass goodbye. Now 
Welcome back to another episode of Cadaver Classics. Of course, we have with us today, Stephen. How's it going, my man? It is going just dazzling, my friend. How are you tonight? You know what? I always, I'm always excited to ask you how you're doing because one way or another, you you always just seem to have just so much, just just fervor for life. I do. I I, I have the lust for life, as Iggy Pop would put it. <laughs> Oh, well, that's great, man. And, and, and uh, yeah, I'm in a good mood this week. Fucking USA hockey team, fucking whooping up on Canada. Fucking nice. awesome. Uh, can't wait to see uh, what happens when uh, the USA finally uh, heads up against Russia. going to be awesome because, well, it's just going to be fucking awesome. Are, are Russians, are, are they still like a perennial powerhouse? Well, yeah, you got Russia, Canada, and the U.S., and that's pretty much it. Ever since the ever since the Olympics came to Salt Lake City, the Winter Olympics especially, I've just I've kind of hated the Olympics because it was a pain in the balls when it came here, and so every I started watching a couple of things, and it just reminds me of all the traffic jams, all the road construction leading up to it, and and the fact that uh, I, I think the Olympic, uh, you know, I, I I this is different, I'm sure, with the hockey games. I haven't caught any, but I mean, like the downhill stuff, man. There's like there's like two minutes of sport to 30 minutes for every 30 minutes of quote unquote inspirational dialogue. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Just, oh, I assume oh, it's still that way. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I skip all that shit. That's why I've got, they've got the, uh, Olympics on demand channel. So you can just go check out the fucking highlights. It's fucking awesome. Just fast yeah. forward through fucking everything you're not interested in. But I think in the spirit of the Olympics that you and I should uh, let our audience know uh, this one important fact. You and I, neither one of us, are using any performance enhancers um, in this podcast. That's not necessarily true. Oh, really? I am shocked, Michael. I have been juicing every day in leading up to this moment. Have you really? That that is disappointing to me, Michael, because because I was prepared for you know for an all natural pro- podcast. Nope this one this podcast is going to be chemically enhanced. Oh, I, I'm I'm going to have to re- I'm, I'm going to have to report you to the governing board. That, <laughs> the that is just fucking yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so whatever happened with that? <laughs> the HBL, uh, yeah. Don't let's not get into it. Oh, ah, sweet man. Well, we got a uh, another classic movie to discuss. Did you uh, happen to watch a movie this week that was classic? Um, I did. Um, I believe it was called Night of the Demon. Excellent. Why did you watch that one? I did indeed. In fact, uh, in fact, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about it. Well, why don't we talk about that movie? That sounds like a great idea. We could probably <laughs> turn that into a podcast segment or something. That'll be what's a podcast. Awesome. Uh, it's one of those things where people get on the internet with their free time uh-huh. and waste other people's fucking time. Yes. It's fascinating. Awesome. All, you, uh, all you need is a mic and a mouth and an internet connection and, uh, you can be famous. And of course the juice. Well, that's why you and I see, I've been, been looking for the right term. I think the uh, term for us pod gods. <laughs> you know what? Although I agree with you, I don't know how many other people would agree with you there. Yeah, well, we'll see if it catches on. <laughs> All right. All right, let's just start assuming that, that uh, everybody thinks that of us, and uh, we'll just see how that goes. All right. Well, why don't we back it up by uh, actually uh, presenting a decent fucking segment? 
Well, let's do it. All right, let's uh, do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking pumped. Nice, dude. Uh, tonight's movie, if Stephen mentioned, we are going to be talking about Night of the Demon that came out in 1957. It has been written since the beginning of time that evil supernatural creatures exist in a world of darkness. And it is also said man can call forth these powers of darkness the demons of hell. It is the night of the demon. And tonight is the night that Dana Andrews, as a daring scientist, defies the mysterious murderous devil cult in a desperate battle against the demons of hell. Oh, why did you drop the poker? Red hot. Didn't you know? Oh, my boy, you're as pale as death. There was something in here. He has been chosen. I've been chosen for what? What do you mean? Today I found all the pages of my desk calendar torn out after October the 22nd. I know why. He died on the 22nd. John, what's the matter? The same thing happened to my desk calendar after the 28th. The Frightened Girl. The Master of Witchcraft. You will die, as I said, at 10 o'clock on the 28th of this month. Your time allowed is just three days from now. Skeptical? Don't make up your mind till you see this masterpiece of macabre magic. Because, after all, evil supernatural creatures really do exist. Directed by Jacques Tournier. How, how did I do on the pronunciation? Uh, yeah, for fairly close. Uh, I prefer to call him Jack Turner. Is that Fuck. really how you say it? No, it's it's Jacques <laughs> Tournier. Yeah, okay. Tournier. Okay. I thought I just uh, made an ass of myself trying to go the extra mile and, and no, I, throw some. <laughs> I just don't see fit to uh, grant those pretentious French pronunciations any fucking merit. So that's why I'm going with Jack Turner. Uh, all right, well, let's let's take that from here on that. Jack Turner uh, it was actually written by M.R. Um, R. James, who was actually what was it? A short story called "Casting of the Runes." And casting the Runes, yes. I'm sorry, Casting the Runes, uh, and also uh, Charles Bennett and uh, Hal E. Chester uh, wrote the screenplay. Um, it the IMDb actually gave it a seven point seven. It has about uh, 3,327 votes, well, at least when I, obviously, when I took these notes. The thing is, is that's not, that's not a lot, but I think, I, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I should have figured this out before we started recording, but I wonder how many of these, like, really old movies get a ton of votes on IMDb, because, uh, I mean, 3,300 is really not that many. But I think it's, I think it's big enough to get a good uh, idea of what it's, you know, of, of what the movie's like. Give it a fair, a fair shake, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think it's a relative sampling. But you've got to figure with a lot of these old movies, uh, yeah. it's going to skew higher because 
It's not like a lot of people just watch it and then go vote where versus like a new release. Yeah, no, these, that's true. You know, odds are, you know, somebody like like a movie like this, you know, they've seen it, they're a fan of it and want to let other people know about it. Right. And that could so, be too. But I think 7.7 is a perfectly fair score for this yeah, movie. It's, yeah, it's, I was going to say, and I don't think in this case it's it's too high at all. No. But anyway, um, let's see. Dana Andrews played Dr. John Holden. Peggy Cummins. Wow. I didn't realize how uh, obscene I, I, that name sounds. I am not going to get, say a fucking word. <laughs> okay. Uh, she played uh, Joanna Har- Harrington. Uh, Niall McGinnis played Dr. Julian Cos- Carswell. Uh, Maurice Denham played Professor Henry Harrington, and uh, Athene Saylor played Mrs. Carswell, uh, Julian Carswell's father. So uh, let's just get a quick uh, your, your quick opening thoughts on the movie, man. What'd you think? Opening thoughts? Uh, there, there's a reason this movie is a fucking classic. Uh, this is a near perfect fucking classic horror movie. Uh, it's not really a ghost story, but certainly all the. Uh, all the trappings of one. It's got the atmosphere. It definitely, it uh, does a good job of building that sense of foreboding throughout it. As we get closer to the you know, countdown to the deadline. I think, I think it's an amazing movie. I, I love this fucking movie. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I don't, it's funny because um, I don't think I've seen a movie now. Now, I mean, in this, this had a lot of the same film style, uh, what do you, like cinematography, things like that as other movies in the, in the, you know, in the 50s, I guess, that I've seen at least. I mean, I, I haven't seen everything. But the thing is, is for some reason, this is a real standout. You know, as I was watching this, this really stood out to me as a solid movie from back then. And I mean, and I, I don't know if I'm going to get slammed for saying this, but every once in a while when I watch an older movie, I'll usually give it some allowances for... Um, you know, for being kind of uh, foreign in the fact that uh, it was a different time and a different place. But the thing is, is even though there was, you know, the people maybe spoke a little bit different than we do now, things like that. I really think that this stood alone and was a damn solid movie. Yeah, I, I, I don't think really you get, I never got that kind of disconnect, you know, of the 50 years past, you know, right. uh, watching it. I was just completely absorbed by it, you know, every time I've seen it. Absolutely. Uh, and I, th- I think a lot, a lot of it has to do with it, it is a kind of a classic story. Uh, if you go back and look at the uh, uh, James original and a lot of his you know, ghost stories, you know, he had this formula set that has been copied from every, everybody from Lovecraft to Stephen King because of uh, Ramsey Campbell, because it is such a solid formula for mm-hmm. telling these supernatural stories where you have these identifiable characters stuck in a situation that, uh, you know, the supernatural intrudes on their everyday existence. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas before, before James came along, everything tended to be, you know, set off in some kind of like far off realm. Every, it really kind of broke the Gothic tradition uh-huh. and made it, made it a lot more accessible. Really? And, okay. You and, know, I hadn't thought about it like that. And the other thing you have going here, of course, is uh, Jacques Tourner's uh, fucking brilliant direction. And here's a guy who's, who has kind of a storied history uh, in the horror genre. He was uh, Val Luden's go-to guy. Uh, ah. Cat People, uh, I Walked with a Zombie, uh, The Leopard Man, I believe, was his as well. 
And then later on, he directed uh, one of Matheson's Twilight Zone episodes, mm. uh, Night Call, which is one of the one of the creepier ones out there where uh, you have the old invalid woman receiving a phone call and they find out that the uh, phone line is like fallen down and is laying on top of a cemetery. And uh, Turner really did a hell of a job selling that fucking story, too. Hmm, cool. So, I don't know if I've seen that one. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty creepy. Not as creepy as the Matheson original story. It's kind of got like an upbeat Twilight Zone. You know, the twist in it is a little right. more up, less terrifying and more moralistic. I'm uh-huh. not going to give it away by any means. But uh, mm-hmm. but the short story by Matheson is great. And the uh, the Twilight Zone episode is really fucking solid. And again, uh, you, you know, we're talking about Turner's direction. Absolutely. Um one thing that uh well and i guess we can get into the plot and what thing uh and whatnot but uh there's one thing about this uh there, there i think there's only one thing about this film that i think i may have changed and it turns out that that uh turner would actually didn't want wanted to make the same change um which was you know leave a little bit more to the imagination i think instead of you know full on showing the the beast and whatnot and i actually think that may you know, it's it's difficult to tell because, I mean, maybe I'm going off on too big of a tangent just to start before we talk about the plot or whatever. However, w- tell me what you think about this. Basically, it was a qu- it was a question between or it was a kind of an argument between uh, Turner and uh, what was his name? Uh, one of the uh, Hal Chester, who, mm-hmm. who was not only one of the writers, but he was one of the uh, producers as well. He worked for the studio and whatnot. Anyhow, so. Turner was actually going to not show the actual demon at all. Right. And uh but Chester was like, "Listen, we need to do this." And I don't I don't really know what I would have preferred. It seems to me that especially in the 50s that I think it would have been more terrifying if maybe we didn't get a chance to see the full-on uh, you know, beast and whatnot. However, I think maybe if we didn't see something, then this would have turned into kind of changed uh, taken another uh, path, and instead of being a supernatural, you know, horror film, it may have been one of those um, psychological thrillers where, oh, is this person crazy or is this person, you know, dealing with the supernatural? And you know, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I, I, I tend to, I mean, those movies are fine to me, but I think that uh, I get, I, I, I enjoy films a little bit more, you know, when. Um, when I know that there's the, the supernatural end of it. What do you think? Well, I think, I think you can go really either way, but you end up with two entirely different movies. No, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. Which, yeah. Right. And because if you look at, um, you, know, you look at uh, something like Cat People, there's a lot of ambiguity there. And it's extremely effective. But at the same time, you know, when you're dealing, you know, this type of movie, you know, do you have to have the money shot? And the effects in this actually were, weren't as cheesy as you might think for 1957. I mean, they're uh, 10 light years ahead of like, you know, the Roger Corman rubber monster type effects. I think they're uh-huh. much better than, uh, than, uh, you'd expect. 
Well, and I think because that's part of Turner's vision, that the fact that um, the effects weren't the main focus of the movie, which, you know, again, I don't I think that although they weren't the main effect, they weren't that cheesy. But still, we I don't think we really needed them that much um, in the film at all. I think that that uh, just the acting in the story itself was enough to really be terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it was just just added to you know, like I said, it's just two different uh, approaches to the same material, and you get two different results. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the effects guys in this movie are—you know—they they were top notch. Uh, one of them went on to do uh, oh, one of the Doctor Fives movies. Yeah, the other one went on to do like a Doctor Strange Love. So you know, these these, these were people that uh, you know would have a long and storied career in visual effects. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of, uh, can't remember which one went on to do like Excalibur and raise the Titanic and, uh, worked on the, uh, first Superman movie. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, these, these, you know, these are, these are people that, you know, they weren't just, you know, some guys hired off the, you know, grabbed off the fucking street. They knew what they were doing and you consider the effect shots are really only amount to about what? 30 seconds of film. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, is um, even without the full on, um, you know, the, the full on beast, you know, and it and it shows the beast on the cover. So, I mean, it's not like we're I don't think we're giving much away. But I mean, anyway, um, there was one scene in particular where the effects were very effective to me, which I guess are called the effects to be. Effect- anyway, um, if you'll remember the scene where the main character's running through the the forest and uh he you know he, he he has this sense of dread he's running away and then we see kind of a uh how do you describe it kind of like a like a smoke apparition or something like that yeah i thought that, I thought that was fabulous yeah the the it's just a cloud of smoke basically right but but it uh doesn't stand out in any way as far as you don't look at it and go oh that's you know a uh, double exposure or whatever. I mean, it's, it's so effectively done. And, you know, again, we talk about the direction, you know, the scene is so tightly edited and put together that that sense of dread is just there constantly. And, you know, we're just building and building towards that climax. And, you know, he could probably put a fucking bunny rabbit chasing him and it would have been just as effective <laughs> because, <laughs> No, you know, and I think that was my favorite effect scene, including the 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 main one in the beginning and the main one at the end. Right. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's be, t- because yeah, because smoke you have to well, you consider smoke is something that's hard to control. Absolutely, and and for them to be able to almost give it a make smoke almost tangible, and at the same time make it threatening, uh, it all came together perfectly. I agree. Let's get into the plot a little bit. Um, yeah, why don't we tell people what the fuck we're talking <laughs> what about? What we've been talking about for the last little while. Um, basically, the opening scene, there is, uh, Professor Harrington shows up um, at a big, uh, at, the, at this nice house. of uh, It's the house of Dr. Julian Carswell. Um, and apparently Carswell is a leader of a satanic cult, which he makes no bones about, basically. Um, apparently Harrington is doing some kind of investigation into their cult and, uh, Harrington comes, comes to Carswell's home and, and, and kind of pleads with him to, uh, I guess call off the dog, so to speak. And, um, 
you know, they, they go back and forth a little bit. And actually, Carswell tells Harrington that uh, he'll go ahead and call off what he set in motion. Then Harrington tells him that a parchment that Carswell gave him actually has disintegrated. At that point, you can kind of tell that Carswell, is so, something snaps in Carswell's mind, and he hurries Harrington out the door. And uh, as Harrington's driving home, he encounters a demon. And uh, he ends up uh, running his car into a power line and uh, being electrocuted and dying. Anyhow, um, in the meantime, John Holden is flying to England to attend a convention where Harrington was actually going to give his presentation and, and basically expose Carswell and his cult. And, uh, you know, he gets there. He's informed of Harrington's death. Okay, but um, let, me, let me stop you there real okay. quick if I could. Okay. Now, what did you think of that scene on the airplane? Uh, the, okay, yeah, the scene where basically it's what with Dr. Holden where he's trying to take a nap on the airplane. However, there's this woman behind him who will not uh, turn her light off and, and is, I guess, kind of staying up working on whatever she's working on. They're kind of getting annoyed with each other. Yeah, but here, here's the thing that struck me. Now, you'll, okay. if, if you, uh, you he's, he's covering his head with a newspaper. That has right. his picture on it yeah. saying, uh, was it famous uh, psychologist going to England? And uh-huh. it's like, how fucking slow was the news day that day? <laughs> and, and they've got like a big front page spread and a, a three by five photo of him right there on the front fucking page of this newspaper. I was like, what the, what fucking newspaper I mean, was Listen, there really I don't think it matters what newspaper on? I was on. If I was in a newspaper and I was flying on a plane and I needed something to cover my eyes, I'd make sure I was showing to everybody out there how cool I was. Yeah, that's that just fucking cracked me up. I was like, how, how is that for exposition? Yeah. Now we know. Now we know. Know he's a psychiatrist, and we, or uh, yeah, we know he's a psychiatrist, and we know he's going to England, and nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> That's true. That was a that was a very effective storytelling device. You didn't have to waste any time on that. No, we got it right off the bat. But I, I, I just couldn't get over that. That was just oh my god. Well, in the scene thank, also, thank God inter- Sputnik what didn't go up that day or something, or else we wouldn't have known who the fuck that guy was. <laughs> <laughs> that scene also introduces us to Harrington's daughter, uh, or I'm sorry, niece, whose name was Joanna, and uh, I, I think it kind of gives us a. Uh, a um, uh, just kind of a, a glimpse into each one of their personalities. For instance, uh, Joanna even went to one of the uh, the stewardesses, or is that, is that what they're called, stewardesses, and uh, asked flight attendants because she was trying to be nice and whatever. And of course, uh, John was kind of a little bit uh, irritated with the whole situation. And you know, it, it, I think it, I mean that. I think through the rest of the movie, John kind of is irritated at the whole thought of people believing in the supernatural. Oh yeah, he's yeah. You've got your classic dynamic here. You your whole Mulder Scully thing going on. You've got right. your believer and your skeptic, and uh, you know it's it's just that old dynamic that works perfectly in supernatural stories. You've got to have somebody saying no, it could be this, it could be this, and you've got to have somebody else trying to convince them that no, this is really you know, and it it helps the audience gives somebody, you know, everybody in the audience is going to have one of these two characters to identify with. Right. And, and not only that, as far as the storytelling device goes, you know, it, it keeps that question open in your mind. You know, if we hadn't seen that opening shot of the actual demon, then it would have been able to keep open in our minds throughout the rest of the story. 
And that's what I'm saying. It would have been a completely different movie. You know, I think it would have, uh, I mean, rest assured, the first you know, 10 minutes, you know that this is a monster slash demon movie. You know, there's no question after that. Right, absolutely. And I think, that, you know, well, yeah, I think we've said what needs to be said there. Um, let me ask you something. There was one guy who was linked to Harrington's death, and I can't remember exactly how he was linked. His name was Rand Hobart who ended up uh, being in, uh, like, a, a state of Canatonia. Ken- what, what was – now, how was he involved with this whole deal? It's my understanding he – if I remember correctly, he was an ex-member of uh, Carswell's cult. Okay. And I guess it tried to get out, and uh, he went to tell uh, Harrington, you know, what was going on inside the cult. Okay, and that's okay, and that makes sense too because um, he was, a lot of people were claiming that uh, that his uh, this catatonic state was induced by uh, because of his um, membership in the satanic cult. Right. Um, this was of a course, price, This was the of price course, of his betrayal. Exactly. Uh, of course, John Holden doesn't believe it. Um, you know, he, let's step back a little bit. John Holden. He, he, I think he was a likable guy, and you know he definitely had his place of being skeptical. However, he seemed—I mean—and maybe this helped out at, at the end. He seemed a little bit arrogant, but I think that they kind of had to do that. So in the so towards the later stages of the movie, you know, it would have been more of an impact that uh, you know he started to actually buy into some of this other stuff. What did you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, just. Solid storytelling. You've, yeah. You you give your character an arc. He starts from point A and ends up in point B, uh, kind of like me. I start out as an arrogant asshole, and somewhere uh, about three or four years from now, I will start being nice to you. Uh, I was gonna say, no, yeah, right. I was gonna say you have a story arc. You begin as an arrogant asshole, and then you end as an arrogant asshole. And where does that get you? Well, no, no. See, that's where you're wrong, Michael. I start as I, I start as an arrogant asshole, and uh, end up as an arrogant prick. Oh, oh, that, and that those are two completely different things. Of course, yeah. I, I apologize. Subtle but effective. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, moving along because that was uh, I. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Holden because he uh, read some books in, uh, in Harrington's notes, things like that. Uh, visits a library to examine a book on witchcraft. And uh, it's funny because he goes to the to the library, and apparently the uh, uh, the the book the specific book that he's looking for cannot be found in the in the library. Nobody can seem to find it. Well, Carswell shows up at the library, um, you know, not coincidentally, uh, to kind of meet. Holden, because I, I can't remember exactly how he did it, but you kind of heard that Holden's kind of picking up the torch where Harrington left off and is going to take this investigation, you know, and, and either finish it up or, or take it to the next level or whatever. Well, I think Carswell read it in the newspaper. Okay. That big uh, front page article. Oh, you, oh, you're, you know what? I think you're right. I don't even think you're kidding, actually. <laughs> Let's see. They, they get into a little discussion, and uh, Carswell actually has that book that uh, Holden's looking for, and he offers to allow Holden to come by his place and to borrow it. Um, however, something happens at that moment. Uh, clumsily, Carswell knocks over uh, Holden's like folder of notes and whatnot, and uh, seeming innocuously picks it up. And you know, I, 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 maybe we should stop and talk about how much we want to give away here. Um. 
Actually, I think we're still good at this point um, because, I mean, the entire plot of the story is basically, you know, it's based on casting the runes. The runes have been cast. He uh, he sneaks the piece of paper into uh, the parchment with the uh, runes uh-huh. into uh, Dana Andrews' uh, work papers. Uh-huh. And the gist of the story from here on out, pretty much three days after you get this item, uh, the demon comes and possesses you. And so the rest of the time, it's trying to convince uh, Holden that the demon is coming and him resisting, and then uh, and then ultimately how it plays out in, at the end. So there you go. I mean, that's the that's pretty much the rest of the story without giving anything away. And I agree. And I, and I, I even had notes here. Um, I realize that these are classics, but this one I hadn't seen all the way through either. So it's like... I, I still don't. I don't feel comfortable giving all, all you know all the details away, things like that. But anyways, I agree with you. However, this seemed that the story sounds a little bit familiar, wouldn't you say? Uh, it does for anyone who checked out Sam Raimi's latest effort, <laughs> the Drag Me to Hell movie, seemed to be take a lot of cues from this film, wouldn't you say? Uh, absolutely. You've got the uh, opening scene where. Uh, you're introduced to the concept of the demon coming after uh, somebody who has a possessed uh, object. Uh, you've got the object being passed, the three-day limit, uh, things getting creepier and creepier as uh-huh. uh, you start to believe or you know, the character convinces themselves what is going on. And then uh, your climax in both movies takes place at a train station. That and that that is something that I did notice. However, and one thing that's also um, kind of similar between the two is great seance scenes. Yes, both the movies have great seance scenes. Well, and we as we all know, drag me to hell. There ended up being a talking goat. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you have missed out because you need to see that scene. One thing that I thought was so funny in this movie is in order to warm up the spirits during a seance. These two old ladies were saying some kind of a of a tune because they liked the singing. Did that or did that not sound like two harpies kind of bellowing at the you know at local ships whatever? What, what, I mean, that, well, it, I just started I mean, laughing at that point. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I just got done watching American Idol before we came on here, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was about the same as a couple of those uh, that got kicked off. <laughs> Well, you know, if if William Hung had been in this movie, then you know what role he would have been in. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, the singing was pretty fucking awful, but at the same time, at the same time, kind of catchy. I'm waiting for the dance mix to come out. Of course, you know, even that scene. I mean, the all of the. All of the characters in this film were very sincere. I mean, they 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 seemed fairly um, natural. In, in you know these these two, it was funny because these two women were. I mean, they just kind of started singing. No apologies for their for their lack of talent or anything like that. They were doing what they felt like was was what they should be doing, and and they just they they weren't ashamed and they did it. Yeah, absolutely. And the <laughs> and but what I didn't realize was that. Uh, Undead spirits are tone deaf. <laughs> yes. I, I had no, no clue. You lost all sense of uh, musical taste once you passed over to the other side. Well, I so think, that's something I think I've on got the to transition to. to the ethereal realm, there's actually a, a, uh, something that actually muffles the tone a little bit. Yeah, so, it's like 
Yeah, like if you're underwater, it sounds different. So, yeah. It exactly. Probably, probably bends the sound waves. <laughs> I don't know. I will have to check out Einstein's theory of relativity and see what it says about sound waves and ethereal planes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and if and if he hasn't written, if he has he or uh, Stephen Hawking hasn't written a, a paper about it, then I think maybe we should. I think that I think that we definitely should, and uh, will become as widely regarded as those two easily. Absolutely, because <laughs> if you've heard me sing, I'm fucking tone deaf too. I could be like fucking. <laughs> well, you can be our. We, I we'll could be experiment the on you. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I pulled out this DVD. And I threw it in, and there are actually, on the DVD, I think it was a, I can't remember exactly what company it was, but basically, there were actually two full sets of this movie on here. There was um, Night of the Demon and Curse of the Demon, and apparently Curse of the Demon is a whole different cut um, given to, I guess, American audience at that same time. Um, however, have you ever seen that one? Do you know the difference or anything like that? Uh, honestly, I have to say that I haven't seen the other cut of it. Well, and I don't. I don't I'm really... sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not prepared. <laughs> well, no. I. No, well, I, no. I haven't seen it either. But uh, I don't. I, I actually thought maybe I'll wide watch it again. But um, you know, watch the other one just to kind of make the differences. But I couldn't bring myself to it because you know, Night of the Demon was so good. I don't. I didn't kind of want it. I guess I, not that it would have tainted my view or whatever. But I just thought, well, I'm not going to mess with you know, with that movie. And I don't know what the deal is. That was another issue between uh, Chester and uh, Tournier. Uh, as far as the different cuts? Yeah, because uh, Chester cut 13 minutes of the film for the American release um, from uh, Tournier's original uh, editing and idea. I don't, I don't know if he actually did all the editing and whatnot, but uh, um, apparently all of the... Um, versions that you can get even now in America have uh, you, you'll probably get both either both cuts or the Night of the Demon cut. Yeah, now see, see, mine is mine is an old VHS copy off of Turner Classic or some shit. Oh, are you serious? So, yeah, because like I said, this is a b big favorite of mine. Oh, cool. So check it out every couple of years. I watch sure. it again. No. Um, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, go go right ahead, dude. Well, I was just going to say that um, uh, I think that uh, I think that this this uh, film did a good job of kind of building and building and building. Whereas I didn't really see, I didn't really um, feel like there were any slow moving parts in the film. A lot of a lot of films that I think you know do a lot of exposition and, and you know discussion things like that too. Um, you know, like this one did. They they kind of seem to go pretty slow. Um, however, I don't. I didn't get the feeling in this one at all. It just seemed to kind of pop all the way through um, until the f hilarious ending, which we won't give away. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I do love the ending. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah, and it does. It's really kind of sucks that we can't talk about it because uh, because. <laughs> Oh man, because the ending is so fucking great. Oh, yeah, uh, just like, oh my god, is he gonna pull it off? Is he gonna pull it off? Is he gonna pull it off? And it's yeah. oh, fucking awesome. That that scene, I love that scene in the train. Oh, and that's not that's not even talking. About, it's not even mentioning the the spanks and the crumpling up and then throwing. If you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, that part killed me. That was great. Yeah, this is. 
Oh, yeah, it's a shame we can't really talk about the ending without spoiling the whole fucking movie because it... <laughs> yes, absolutely. But as far as the build-up to it goes, I mean, really, nothing happens as far as, you know, everything is so subtle. Just, uh, you know, he's, you know, he thinks it's cold and she's like, it's freaking burning up in here. And he's like, right. well, I'm freezing, you know, it's just subtle little stuff like that throughout. Well, and, and they're, and and they're then, slowly... The, gaining more information and, you know, learning a little bit more about it. And we, I think with everything they learn, it, it becomes a, a more interesting thing. And there's also, um, what's the name? Curse Carswell's uh, mother tries to help, you know, so that, uh, you know, and, and there's actually even a whole subplot. Oh, no, I don't know if it's a subplot, but there's also a couple of scenes where Carswell himself uh, is uh, talking about how he's actually scared of the power that's been unleashed and, you know, things like that as well. So I think it kind of makes his character a little more human and it's, and it's, uh, you know, not, we, we learned that it's not just this evil satanic guy who's out to kill whenever and whatever he wants. Yeah. He's kind of, he's made a deal that he regrets. It's is the way it comes across to me at least. Absolutely. You know, he, reg he regrets the deal he's made. You know, yeah, he's reaped all the benefits of it, but at the same time, now that now that he's witnessed uh, uh, what's in store for him, yeah, he's, he's not real thrilled about. Uh, wish he probably could have gone back in time and uh, made another other decisions. Agreed. So, yeah. so yeah, and it does make it kind of interesting, which is which is a big change from the short story. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It, it, as a matter of fact, we we have very in the short story we have very low uh direct contact with uh carswell at all really uh he's uh only mentioned uh f throughout most of the story except for the scene where the runes are cast where he, the library scene yeah uh that's that's pretty similar to the actual short story but that's when... interesting because he's one he's one of my favorite characters i mean because in the movie because i mean we we find him and he's actually entertaining children we find out that he used to be a a professional clown well i mean i don't know if it was a professional but he used to do that to to entertain kids things like that you know and it kind of kind of made him seem like more of a regular person you know and then when he mentioned all those things about being scared he just kind of almost seems like he got caught up in something that uh spiraled out of control and he lost and he just couldn't he couldn't keep it under wraps yeah, and that, all that is an invention of the screenwriters here, and I think really? it, yeah, I think it really does. It strengthens the character, strengthens the story, and again, it kind of adds a little ambiguity. As you know, he it does can't keep you again. If we didn't have that opening scene, I know, you know huh? it, it, it would kind of it kind of play, it plays with you know does you know. Where does he stand as far as all this guy? You know, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, though. I mean, just because it, I was, I, I have to admit that I'm, that uh, the ambiguity is fine and I can work with it. But it was kind of nice just to kind of, for one to know what's going on instead of, you know, which we've we've all become accustomed to is is maybe trying to figure it out and interpret it our own way at the end, which is fine too. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I don't know. No, I, it, I, it, I have a hard time. I have a hard time uh, criticizing that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, your, your actual plot here is very, very straightforward, very close cut, but it's, it's your characterizations that really make the movie great. Absolutely. And that, uh, that uh, along with, uh, like I said, you know, Turner's uh, fucking magnificent direction, you know, he keeps mm. everything you know moving, even though there's not much going on, it's all very subtle. You know, he does, he, the pacing is fucking excellent. You, you know, I can't find fault with this movie at all. But, you um, know, 
I, I can't either. The, I mean, obviously, there's I there are a couple of things where, um, you know, where you you see a string or something like that. But um, unless you're being really nitpicky, I, you know, I there I, there's nothing. There's no real complaints I have. Yeah, but um, let me if I could though. There, you, you, when you talk about uh, the scene where he's entertaining, the, having the big party for the children. Uh huh. Um. The, the scene plays out a lot differently in the short story, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. Okay. Uh, um, as I said, in the book, he, in the story, he doesn't really, you know, there's not, everybody is talking about him, but mm-hmm. he, he doesn't really make an appearance except for at, at the very end and uh, the scene where the runes are passed. Uh-huh. But uh, they are, they, one of the characters is relating the incident of the children's party he had. And what he did, he brought all these kids over, all, all the neighborhood kids, and he uh, you know, used to run them off of his property. You know, get the fuck off my lawn, you damn kids. You know, every, he, I mean, because he, he, in the in the book, he is a fucking evil, hateful bastard. Mm-hmm. But he invites all the children over and starts showing them like a slideshow. And at first, it's like Little Red Riding Hood. But the wolf is like so terrifying, like four of the kids have to leave the room. Oh, really? Yeah. And then uh, it's, uh, you know, just as it goes on, these slides he shows are more and more terrifying and all the kids are freaked out. And <laughs> and the one adult that is in the room finally says, you know, look, that's enough. That's enough. You know, uh-huh. you're scaring the shit out of these kids. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, let me show you one more slide. And he shows them the final slide and it's all these like bugs and spiders and centipedes and shit. And he Carswell like kind of like, I guess either uses these, it's kind of left open whether or not it's magic or a trick, but it appears that all the bugs are coming out of the slide. And all of a sudden there's all these noises in the room, like the clicking noises of like bugs crawling around and all the kids fucking go ape shit. And they're like fucking traumatized for like weeks afterwards. Really? (laughs) I was like, man, as, yeah, that would have completely changed you know, our view of the character in the movie, but I think it would have been a hell of a fucking scene. <laughs> no doubt. You know, and the thing is, is I actually went and downloaded the the all all the audio or, or that audio book with a bunch of other ones because this is all. The, the, I mean, I don't know about this film, but I know that the the, the book is uh, casting the runes is in the public domain, so you can go up to LibriVox and uh, download that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I recommend checking it out. Uh, uh, there's there's quite a few was the ash tree I think is another really good one, mm-hmm. um, and which is surprising you know, as influential as James was, uh, this is pretty much the only major adaptation of his work we've seen other than you know if you do want to count Drag Me to Hell, um, yeah okay, but but the BBC what they what what James would do is get all of his friends together every Christmas and write a good, a different ghost story for Christmas and invite his friends over and tell them one of his ghost stories at Christmas. Oh, that's and be- cool. And it became, uh, off and on the BBC will revive this tradition of like every year, um, you know, showing like, uh, somebody like Christopher Lee, I think has done it, uh, mm-hmm. showing really? on Christmas Eve or Christmas day, uh, just a, just uh, somebody, some actor sitting there reading one of James's ghost stories, and uh, of course BBC Radio is, uh, I think, 
done it quite a few times as well. So uh, there Very are cool. those adaptations floating around there. I haven't been able to get my hands on them, but I do know they, they are available out there. So I'd love to get hold of some of the Christopher Lee. I think he did maybe four of them. And so, since I'm a big fan of his, I'd like to see that. That's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Very cool. So uh, anything to finish up talking about the flick? Any any last thoughts? Um, other than about the strongest recommend I can give for uh, one yeah. of the movies we're talking about in this, uh, in this segment. Yeah, yeah I agree. Demon. This is the favorite one that we've done so far. My favorite one, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Well, there you go, everybody. Go check out uh, Night of the Demon. And uh, don't, uh, remember not to mistake it with Night of the Demons, because I think if you watch this, you'll be disappointed if when you find out that there's no lipstick going in a nipple. Yes, and, and see, that's that was a big thing when I watched this the first time. I was like, when is Dana, Dana Andrew going to shove the lipstick into his nipple? <laughs> Dang, I was hoping it would be Carswell. Yeah, well, and, and, and see, that's another thing. Um, for those of you who have seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, it was Carswell, not Prunes, that gave Dan Andrew the runes. Excellent. Pass, passing them did use a lot of skill. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, well, thanks a lot for coming back on the show. And, Always a pleasure, uh, my friend. Always, it, the pleasure is mine. No, it's mine, bitch. Uh, I'll give that to you. Public domain. This show I know is about uh, Satan and demons and fun things like that. So I thought I would talk about a little movie tonight called Good Against Evil. It's a 1970s made-for-TV movie. Actually, it feels a lot like uh, something like you would see on the like Kolchak or The Night Stalker or something like that. Mainly because it's mostly set in San Francisco and it was actually written the writer. Uh, Jimmy Sangster, who uh, is responsible for a couple Hammer movies, Dracula, the Prince of Darkness, and Horror of Frankenstein, I believe. I know Dracula, the Prince of Darkness for sure. But he also wrote uh, 
a few other made-for-TV TV movies, uh, BJ and the Bear, and actually did write a Kolchak Night Stalker or uh, one, or one or two episodes of that. Anyway, the movie opens up with uh, a pregnant woman about to give birth. She's kind of freaking out because she's like, this is not my hospital. Where's my doctor? You can't take my baby. And, you know, she's surrounded by all these weird doctors and and uh, creepy nuns and that kind of thing. So she delivers the baby, and then they, they take it away from her. And then she tries to see it, and, you know, they tell her just not to worry about it. It'll be fine. Just, you know, she's hallucinating things, and she, they're telling her it's just just the drugs and all that stuff. Well, she tries to steal the baby, and, of course, that ends about as well as you think it's going to end. And then we cut to a little satanic cult meeting, and, like, I guess you would call the high priest is addressing all of his followers, basically telling them, uh, you know, for the next 20 years, they're all responsible for this girl. Every friend she has, every opportunity she has, her education, make sure she knows the right people, you know, that, that kind of thing. So we cut a, we cut ahead, of course, uh, 20 years, and we're in San Francisco, and the uh, the little girl is a successful uh, fashion designer working in San Francisco, and you know she's it's even remarked a few times that she's had like a lot of luck, a lot of good opportunities, a lot of uh, unexpected help from people she doesn't know, that kind of thing. Uh, so about the only really uh, unexpected thing that ever happens to her is uh, just about to happen when uh, one day at the uh, shop she's working in, somebody runs into her her brand new car, and it's none other than uh, Jack Ewing from Dallas, a.k.a. Uh, Dag Rambo. And he's a freelance writer coming through town. And, of course, they eventually fall in love, and they're planning to get married. And, of course, the uh, the cult doesn't want any part of this because uh, what the deal is is she is supposed to be uh, she has been bred to be the mother of basically the Antichrist. So she has to be a virgin uh, until, you know, she mates with the devil and all that kind of thing. So they, uh, it's been said before that she's had two other boyfriends and they one had a hunting accident and I forget what happened to the other one, but he died some way. So, you know, the cult's trying to, to get rid of this guy and at one point they're just about to have sex and like this a skylight fall down on them and you know of course a couple times uh, some of the cult members are dealt with by the uh, the leader and uh, for, for failing their their task and that kind of thing eventually there's a couple priests that are brought into the situation and the end of the movie is like a lame sort of exorcism scene there's like a, another plot I won't get into but there's a little girl that gets another little girl you know like a child that gets possessed and there's just like a lame attempt to recreate like an exorcist type scene. Of course, it's not nearly as successful. Overall, the movie is not bad for a made-for-TV movie. Uh, made-for-TV movie, I liked it. Um, the only bad thing, the only word of caution here is this was supposed to be the pilot for a TV show that never got picked up. Well, it was a pilot, but it was supposed to be a TV show that never got picked up. So the ending, although the story does this immediate like start to the story does wrap up. It's left wide open. Uh, there's not really any resolution to the plot with with the with the main girl Jessica. 
uh, things happen. I can't really, you know, I won't say what, but what happens next would be the, the basis of the TV series, but it never happened. But still, overall, it wasn't a bad little movie. I liked it. Uh, not anywhere in the same caliber as, like, The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby or anything like that, but like I said, it wasn't bad. Uh, as to where to find this, I've seen it on several collections of public domain things. I'm not sure if it's on archive.org or not. Um, I have it on the Mill Creek uh, 150 Movie Pack Nightmare World. Like I said, check it out. Welcome to episode 51 of the Cadaver Lab Podcast. I'm Mike, and with me as always is Johnny. What's up, man? Hey, dude. What is up, man? <laughs> Steven and I just got done recording uh, the first of the Unholy Quad when we uh, talked about Night of the Demon in um, Cadaver Classics. But uh, what do you think about that? You watched that this week. Yeah, man. And I've heard a lot of people say that um, what's, uh, Sam Raimi ripped it off with Drag Me to Hell. We talked about that a little bit. Not that he necessarily ripped it off, just just how similar it was to it. Well, and I think his was more of like an homage to it. I first of all, let me just say I love Drag Me to Hell. I love that movie. Oh yeah, it's great. And it was fun. It was it was spontaneous and just crazy. And uh, I don't. I mean, yeah, it followed the same plot. But I but I totally agree with you. I don't think he was there was any kind of. Uh, arrogance or malicious intent when he made that movie at all but the thing is i actually saw that before i saw night of the demon so i mean whatever yeah, i did too i mean so and that and i outside of the horror genre i don't really care for a lot of Raimi's stuff but i love everything he does in horror do you know what's funny is i found out the other day that uh, one of my dad's favorite movies is for love of the game and that's a Raimi movie is it really isn't that so funny that uh, know, he did that yeah, one of my favorite movies and one of my dad's favorite movies. And let's just say our taste in movies, there's very little overlap, unless it's like a sports movie, which I guess that is. But, like, uh, I'll never forget the, the, the Christmas morning we got Rudy and both were crying tears of joy when he made it in that last, you know, little part of the game. <laughs> Nothing? Never seen Rudy? Uh, you know what? I've seen Pete. It's the one with Sean Astin, right? Uh-huh. Gomez Adams' son. Yeah, dude, that was a tearjerker. He worked so hard and finally made it. Anyway, I know I've seen but, it at uh, some point. But anyway, so it's funny that uh, that, that Sam Raimi is is uh, directed arguably my favorite movie of all time in Evil Dead Two, and uh, one of his favorite movies of all times as well. So I, I just thought that's funny. <laughs> and he starred in one of your favorite movies of all time too, The Intruder. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Give me a break. Give me a break on that. I, you know, I didn't hate it. I just, I just got so damn bored of the, 
maybe I have some against grocery stores, and I do. Oh, I do too. I hate going grocery shopping, man. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> and if you, man, don't catch yourself in a Walmart at the first of the month. You know what's funny is, I mean, I don't want to go off too much on this, but uh, I think I know where you're going with that. <laughs> I'm not going to go anywhere with that. <laughs> well, okay. Well, anyways, we uh, we have a, uh, a Sam's Club right next to a Walmart here, and we we just go to the Sam's Club. And I'll tell you what, we get we get in and out of there in probably a quarter of the time it would take us to go through Walmart. You're like the Griswolds. You're running around with a shopping cart. It's like it's like shop. Was it shop to drop or whatever? Dude, remember that show? Yes, like the 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 Ziggy Piggy or whatever. Yeah, where they have to throw shit in their cart and run. Yeah, dude. Well, you know what's funny is uh, I swear to you, every time I go shopping in Walmart when it's really busy and we take the kids, and so it's like I'm trying to watch the kids at the same time. I run into somebody, somebody that's walking on the wrong side of the thing. I'm probably one of those people that you talk about. You know? No, the, I doubt it. If you're talking about them being on the wrong side, you're one of me. You're one of my people, dude. The people, the people that know which side that we're not in. Uh, well, it's not in- like we're living in England or something. Come on. Well, people forget like the, I don't know. They forget the laws of uh, the road when they're behind a shopping cart. <laughs> you know what's funny is I actually put up my hands in signal when I'm turning. <laughs> yeah, I'm just teasing. You, you yield at the self checkout. <laughs> I do. We have uh, we have a few roundabouts too. You should see us all going in there, right before right before we get uh, shot off into the checkout area. <laughs> oh, dude. We went off about grocery shopping <laughs> on a horror podcast. Absolutely, that's absolutely awesome. appropriate, dude. So what's been going on with you, man? Oh, not much. This has been a big week, man. Is... Has it? Oh yeah. Um, this has been a big week for Elm Street. Ah yes. And. Like it started off where they released the original trailer from it was the January two thousand nine draft before it was revised. Uh huh. And I checked it out, man. I read it in about yeah thirty minutes because it's all just dialogue. And I'm gonna go ahead and say right now that I'm so I'm glad they made some revisions. Really? Because there's some stuff in there that was cut out that um I'm, I'm so glad they cut out, man. So you've already read the whole script and everything. Oh yeah. Come on, man. Won't that won't leave anything for the movie? This is the only movie that I care about. Well, this and the Burbs are the only two movies that I'm that passionate about. They're not making. They're not remaking the Burbs, are they? They were going to. Are you serious? It was going to be called Neighborhood Watch, and it was going to star Will Ferrell, and then it got canned by the studio. Oh, that's kind of probably a good thing. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have watched it if Tom Hanks came back. I don't like that son of a bee anymore. <laughs> now that he got all serious and respectable, screw that guy, He's man. Gotten chubby. <laughs> Easy. Easy. Some of us chubby guys, we we really enjoy our delicious treats. So leave him alone. Hey, he's with uh, what's her name, Rita, whatever, Rita Wilson. Well, I don't know who that is. Dude, she's an actress, but she's hot for her age, man. She's like fifty something. I'm telling, she's smoking, man. <laughs> you know what's funny is is today we're going to talk about a movie called uh, The House of the Devil, and uh, I was thinking the whole time, man, I remember this stuff. I remember how awesome those orange uh, headphone pads were. You know, I, I had some of those. Of course, I wasn't I wasn't this girl's age, but I was thinking, man, Johnny missed out on all of that. I remember all that stuff, dude. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I had those headphones. Yeah. Mine weren't orange. I'm, mine were black. What am I like? I think I'm six years older than you or something like that, right? I think so. So, so it's like, so, okay. But, man, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. A lot of people my age talk a lot about the 80s, but I I remember so very little. 
about the 80s. It's all that, I guess it's all that that pot I was smoking, you know, when I was 10 <laughs> or something. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I will, I mean, the 80s, depending on when you were born, they just, they mean different things to different people. What'd you think about uh, the new trailer? I assume you checked that out for Night, Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Dude, I loved it, man. I, uh, Did you? There was only one thing in the trailer I didn't like. And... Let me guess. Was it the the ripoff from the Frighteners? Oh, dude, you, that was the best comparison you could have made to that. Was the Frighteners <laughs> because that CG yeah. was so terrible. And yeah, it wasn't that good, was it? Well, and you know what's funny about the original is Wes Craven had the idea of Freddy Krueger coming through the wall. Uh-huh. And they didn't have the money to make it happen, so just, you know, improvising, they bought some spandex and painted it and put it to where Robert England could push himself against it, and it would appear that he's coming through the wall. Dude, and that looked real. It looked awesome, man. Yeah. And this well, new they one had is like, lights set up with so it, so it cast some really cool shadows and all sorts of other stuff like that. I think that looks better than the CG deal yeah. that, we, that we saw. Well, in the, in the the CG Frighteners thing in the trailer, it looks like he's coming down to her face and trying to lick it or something. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I don't know what's going on there. Well, this is the erotic nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> it's starring, uh, whoa, what's her name, dude? The chick that's in all those movies, man. Uh, Misty Monday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's too bad she doesn't get any more movies I watch. What? <laughs> hey, what, what do you uh, what do you think of it, man? I, I, I have a hard time getting pumped for remakes because I think I think my my uh, I think I'm just so vulnerable and I don't want to get hurt again. You know, but uh, did you, no, did you see like, the Wicker Man, too? The Wicker Man, too? No, no. The Wicker Man also. Is that why you're saying get hurt again? Oh no! Oh. Well, I did see it, but the thing is, is that was like for that's a great that's a great point. I love the original Wicker Man, so and I kind of I was like, okay, cool, Wicker Man remake, you know, uh, you know, and even with some of the some of the better remakes that came out, whatever, you know, they all just kind of, I don't know, it's not like I hate them, and it, it, but it usually takes me a couple of watches before I can enjoy them. Even with like the te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes, which I really liked, you know, even even Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning. Which was I I know is kind of crappy I I you know I've watched that a few times, so I'm trying to kind of uh, keep my distance you know, but as far as the trailer goes and if if I'm gonna take myself out of all that and just kind of judge the movie on that trailer as if I don't know what Nightmare on Elm Street is, I, th- I actually think it looks pretty good you know. Yeah, I mean I thought it looked I excellent, man. And I and I do think that uh, what's his name uh, Jackie Earl Haley. I don't know. I think there are a few dudes, few dudes that could could pull that off, but uh, they could pull uh, Freddie off. But uh, you know, I think that uh, I think that he's gonna. I think he's gonna do a good job. Well, I was reading something with the uh, director Sam Bayer, uh-huh. and he was saying that in order to kind of get himself in a different mindset for this movie, he only watched movies like The Exorcist, The Shining, and Rosemary's Baby type stuff. Really? Yeah, because he wanted he wanted to go into it making a movie that's going to be kind of timeless mm-hmm. and not make something, you know, not the, you know, average slasher that in two years, no one's going to remember. Yeah. You know, and I hope he does that. One thing I can see, and maybe, maybe this is just prejudging it too much is I think a lot of the, a lot of movies come out now, like the real, especially like the more popular horror movies come out with these, these people who are like so pretty that there's no possible way that this many pretty people could congregate in one place you know for instance me i'm the only one that looks this good within 30 miles of where i live <laughs> man no. until, you, until, until you go to the horror convention 
Oh yeah, exactly. And then they're everywhere. <laughs> no, but other than that, I you know, I, and honestly, I don't know what it is either. But um, I think I think as a side effect of getting old, these high school kids that, that look like they're actually in high school kind of seem really really young to me and almost like i can't identify with them anymore but that's just me you know that's just me and my my old balls <laughs> well so, i mean i'm really i you know i'm i'm gonna be sitting in the theater on april 30th and i'm going to i mean it, it, i'm gonna try and clear my mind no and i'm gonna do the same thing in fact i've already told my team at work that uh we're doing a team movie that day we're gonna go like probably i don't know if it will be that day or if it'll be the monday after but we're taking work off to all go watch that yeah well that's the same day we're gonna be at texas frightmare so oh is it yeah that's the first day so we're gonna have to make some time before the convention to see that because i'm not going to the convention until i've seen that movie are you serious <laughs> oh yeah dude and i've already bought tickets for the convention but i want to make sure that movie i mean i, I want to be at the first showing i guess they don't call you kruger dude for nothing no, well, and I had this guy. You know, a lot of people will try to try to one up me on Nightmare on Elm Street facts and stuff. I had a guy the other day I ran into, and he was trying to tell me all this stuff. I'm like, that never happened in the movies. <laughs> and he was trying to tell me he's like, Freddy was really silly in the second movie. Oh, he wasn't. What? The second movie, I think he was probably his darkest. I don't think he actually got really silly until four. No, and four was the how's this for a wet dream. Well, and I'm not, I can't complain because I thought those were funny and I'm not trying to bag on it. Oh, I love them. You know, but it's, but I, but he was, I think he was, even in three, I think that was kind of the transition, but I still think he was, he was pretty, just a, a brutal killer in three. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think that came around to four. I don't know. Was there, I don't remember any like really weird, like uh, comedic lines from Freddie in number two. I don't know. There were there weren't at all in part two. Not that I. I mean, he had the you know you got the body and I've got the brains type stuff. Well, that's not funny. It's not funny. It's more like a quip. Unless when uh, unless it's uh, sung by the Fresh Prince in that one song. <laughs> that's when it all went downhill, dude. When you got DJ <laughs> Jazzy Jeff freaking spinning. Dude, you you just lose all cred. When you got the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Well, you know what's funny also, man, is they're doing that Elm Street documentary, that Never Sleep Again. Oh, dude, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, it's going to be awesome. But, you know, Will Smith, his whole career's talked about how much he loves Freddy Krueger. Huh? I didn't see his ass on the interview list. You know what's weird, dude? And now, and I don't know if, we're, if, I, if this is too much of a, of a tangent. Bear with me here. Now, have you ever seen the, the show Psych? Oh, yeah. I love that show. I actually like that show a lot, you know, and uh, what's it? I can't, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but uh, the, the, his real name, but uh, you got Sean and Gus, the, but, and then uh, Sean was actually on, his name was Jason, uh, documentary, and I don't think he's done anything about that, uh, about in horror or anything like that. I mean, maybe he's been in bit parts. I know he's in an episode of uh, Fear Itself, but what's the deal with that? I mean, I would, I would... I would actually think that I would see his the guy who plays his dad, Corbin Burnson, in that documentary first. Well, I had heard something he talked about James Roday, the guy who plays Sean. That's right, Roday. Okay. Yeah, he's a he's a really big horror fan, and I guess he had heard they were making that movie, and he's I guess Friday the Thirteenth is his favorite series. And he, they actually did do a Friday the Thirteenth episode on Psych. But I'm a big horror fan. Why didn't they interview me? You know what, dude? I think you were on the list. Oh, but, yeah, right. Dude, you... even though even though I did meet uh, 
Oh my gosh, I am terrible with names. Uh, the big bald guy that played uh, Jason. Oh, Derek Mears. Derek Mears. You know what's funny is I could have like raised my head a little bit because uh, his the 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 thing that he signed for me at last horror or at the horror hound last March is sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just too dumb to look up. Anyways, anyway, no, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I, I'm excited for Nightmare on Elm Street because it's another horror movie. I, I still, I'm still gonna kind of hold off on. I'm getting too stoked for it um, until you know, until after I see it. You know, I the funny thing is, is I I took my whole team to uh, to my bloody Valentine 3D, and I think out of everybody that went, I was kind of like the most disappointed because everyone else couldn't. You know, they're not like big horror fans, but they couldn't quit talking about the 3D boobies. Yeah, well, it's one of those movies that I think I judged a lot more harshly than a lot of other people do. I did. I I think I really did. Well, everybody I I went to the theater to see it with had never seen any other. You know, they had never seen the original either. That you know, at that point, I I hadn't I I hadn't seen the original in so long, and I can't even I don't even know if I'd seen it yet, and I know I hadn't seen the the version with all the stuff put back in, with all the the um, extra scenes and stuff like that. But, well, I don't yeah. I don't even think that one came out until the theatrical version came out. Oh really? Okay. I, it was oh, it was what well, was available on VHS, but it was like limited edition or something. You know, if nothing else, that's one good thing with remakes is we get uh, usually typically get like a a reissue of the original movie that's pretty that's pretty cool. Well, that's the best thing about the Night of the Demons remake that's coming out is those three movies are out of print. I mean, I have one and two, but I need the third one. I swear to you, dude, that I have number three somewhere on DVD. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to keep digging. I've seen it like for sale in the past, and I should have picked it up. Yeah, it's not that great anyway. It's not as good as uh, one or two. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so do you have anything else? Or you want to get into some voicemails? Let's do it, Mike, Johnny. Congratulations on hitting big fifty. Uh, Salen, love the podcast. Um, happy to know y'all are hitting fifty. Hope you have many, many more. Uh, thanks again for the awesome show. Bye. Well, thanks, dude. Yeah. That was awesome. That was an awesome voicemail. I feel like I'm you know, getting I... a compliment for something I didn't really do, though. <laughs> oh, no, dude. You're a part of the, the Cadaver Lab. Oh, 100. Oh. You know, know the thing is, is even though you may, you may not have been hosting it, you're, you've been there. You've been a, you've been listening for a long time. You know. Oh yeah, man. That was awesome, though, man. Thanks. Uh, listen, man. I, I mean, I know, I don't want to get like too weird or anything, but I'm just I'm glad you're helping me continue the show, man. You know, this is a big this is a big deal to me, and I'm I, you know I'm I'm glad that you're here. Hopefully, we get 50 more. Hell yeah, dude, we're gonna get 50 more, man. Let's do it. All right, let's uh, let's get into the next one. Massive. That's what I think of the new Cadaver Lab format. And the most recent episode, 49, it was massive. So keep up the good work, Mike. Now I'll be listening. Remember, massive. Dude, he says, uh, keep up the good work, Mike. I like the, uh, I like the uh, new, new uh, um, format. But, dude, the new format's all about Johnny and Steve and Gray and Aaron. and It's a big deal. And, by the way, that was Doiner, oh. the, the, the most famous uh, uh, dread, or, excuse me, drunken zombie writer. I don't know. I don't know what his exact title is over there, but... Uh, no, so there you go. Hey, well, actually, and I want to say thank you first for the for the compliment on the show, and uh, secondly, thank you for the compliment on my junk. It's massive. <laughs> well, well, all right, man. <laughs> hey, uh, guys, this is Spooky Bill. 
I just listened to the Cadaver Lab, episode 49, and it was awesome. Let me just say, you know, I'm not going to say it was better, because the Cadaver Lab, with Mike and Sam, was great as well. Now that Sam has left, it's the Cadaver Lab has evolved, and it has become a, a little bit of a different entity. Sure, Mike is there. Um, and it's still called the Cadaver Lab, but you are packed with content now. Um, jazz, amazing. Um, the Cadaver Classics with Steven was great. Um, actually, I think Steven's probably the perfect person to do that with. Um, he is very knowledgeable. And uh, the only problem with Steven is that my wife calls him the fuck guy. And I'll explain in a second. So, yeah, my wife calls Steven the fuck guy. And I, I'm assuming it's because he says the F word a lot. However, I'm not comfortable with her referring to other men as the F guy. And I'd be a little jealous if he wasn't, you know, all the way out in, I don't know, Pennsylvania or West Virginia, wherever he is, some some place where there's hillbillies, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, so that, that segment is really cool with him. Uh, Gray's serial killer, or uh, Gray's slasher uh, connect, uh, central is awesome. Um, he puts on a really good podcast as well um, that I, I just recently started listening to The Dark Hours, and I got to say I'm really impressed with it. Also, Johnny, man, Kruger dude, Kruger Nation man, you rock. I, that's all I got to say. You're an awesome co-host to be part of uh, uh, Ever Lab. I'm, you know, glad to have you on. You know your stuff. Um, I, I really dig Kruger Nation, and you know what? If your work on the Cadaver the Cadaver Lab does kind of slow down what you were doing on Kruger Nation, that's all right, man. Um, because I think you are. I I I hesitate to say the word substitute because they're really. I don't like that word. Um, and I don't want to say replacement because you can't replace Sam. I don't know. You are a good new co-host. There we go for Mike. Um, you guys seem to play off each other really well. And what the hell? Your sound quality I thought was pretty good um, in my car. I wouldn't have even been able to tell that you guys were talking over, what, probably Skype or something like that. Um, it actually sounded like you guys were in the same room together. So uh, kudos on that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Cadaver Lab 2.0, the reboot, is has my seal of approval for what it's worth. Whatever. Okay, bye, guys. Ah, always good hearing from Spooky Bill. Dude, that was really cool, man. Thanks. That was, man, that was a pretty good compliment, man. I really appreciate that because, you know, a lot of people don't like that pat on the back. I really do because, you know, I want to know if I'm, you know, pissing people off or if I'm making them happy. <laughs> so what? So what's the deal? What, are you going to keep your Kruger Nation going or what? No, you know, I actually, man, I, I really have ideas for Kruger Nation and stuff. My whole mm -hmm. thing is uh, laziness. <laughs> well, isn't it for everyone? It really is. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I was wondering how you felt halfway through that voicemail because uh, he brought up 
you know, something that's probably pretty nostalgic for you. Your nickname mm. in college, the fuck guy? No. No. What? No. That wasn't you? That was not me. <laughs> I, if anything, I was the masturbate guy. Oh. <laughs> Man. He's... I always tried to make sure to peel a few off between classes and, uh, you know, it just, it just it just wasn't pretty. Or in class. And, uh, yeah. I ended up having to go to night school and, like, online stuff so that... You know, I could I could do my thing wherever. But uh, isn't that funny though that uh, Stephen is actually the F guy? And, and you know what the funny thing is is if she actually really knew Stephen, she would she would know that Stephen probably would just be like, "Yep, that's me," and like and like be totally serious about it and like relish in the fact that somebody calls him that. <laughs> oh, Stephen cracks me up, man. <laughs> well, dude, it's funny that he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> that's awesome. But anyway. Dude. All right, we we got we got a funny uh, we got a funny one coming up next. I uh, I'm just gonna drop it on you with no warning. Oh shit! So let your soul glow, let shine on through. Soul glow. <laughs> soul glow. Oh, oops, oops, oh yeah, dude. Uh, did we talk about soul glow? I remember we did, but I don't really remember. I I don't remember what we said about it. Oh, it was when we were talking about your mullet, dude. What did you just say? I mean. Back when you didn't have a mullet. I don't... Did we really talk about that when we are talking about my yeah, mullet? Yeah, man. Last episode, we talked about how mullets used to be cool. Oh, dude. Anyways, you know what? I'm just glad we heard the Soul Glow song. Hey, and I'm not the only asshole who knew what that was. I'm going to be honest with you that uh, I have no idea. Like, I've never heard that song before. Are you serious? Come on! I know what Soul Glow coming, is, but coming I've never to heard America. the Coming to America, you need to watch it. I've seen it. I just, I guess, I don't remember it. <laughs> oh, anyway, all right. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for that one. Hey guys, it's Gracie's Poppy. How's it going? I'll keep this a short one. Last episode was really good, Mike. So I hope you weren't sweating it out too much. Uh, the only negative thing I have to say about it is that I had forgotten that I had watched The Devil's Reign, and now I'm going to have to forget that I watched it all over again. So thanks a lot for that. And uh, were you guys saying that they made Ernest Borgnine up to look like a goat? Because I could have sworn that's what he looks like when he, they forget to put his makeup on. Anyway, keep it rolling, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I can't believe he brought up <laughs> the masturbating goat again. <laughs> Dude, didn't we make that same damn joke? <laughs> we did. I think you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you know what? Come on, man. You know, I, I, I know it wasn't that freaking great of a movie, but I, I, I don't know what it is, but I do not hate that movie for as as bad as it is. I think I don't know. Maybe it's just Captain Kirk. I, I <laughs> love the Borg. <laughs> the the er, Ernest Borg. I'm just gonna call him the Borg. Like people, the Borg. People call Ted Nugent the Nuge. The, the Borg. Well, you you see where my confusion comes in right after we talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, oh, I just said his name, Shatner, being in Star Trek, which has the Borg, oh. and all of a sudden you're talking about Ernest Borgnine. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't even make that. <laughs> I didn't even connect the dots there. Wow. Well, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. You're pro- it's probably better that you didn't. That probably means you're, like, cooler than me or some crap. <laughs> No, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. I don't, you know, I'm going to go ahead and toss my nerd card into the uh, ring right now, but <laughs> okay. I don't think the Borg was around when Shatner was on there, was he? Were they? No, oh, no, 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 no. He was, he, they're, I think they're, as far as I know, they're uh, next generation and on. Yeah, they were there with uh, Picard. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Nerd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went ahead and upped you on that one. Oh, you dick. Hey, ass nuts. It's Vaughn. Um, I don't know what I'm calling about. I have to... Uh, I'm calling because you guys keep pushing it on Twitter. Oh, call us or email us or something or something. So I'm here calling. Hopefully this gets on the fucking show. No, I might get to one thing. Oh, it's a little pushy. I don't know if I want to play it. Okay. Last two shows that you guys have been doing, fantastic. I like the whole new, you know, Sam leaves and the whole show gets revamped. I like Gray's bit. I like the DM bit, you know, with the, I can't remember the kid's name, Eric, Aaron. Used to be DM Drive-In, drive in, which was an awesome fucking website. Too bad that went under, and now it's coming back with you, Mike. Very good. Mike and Johnny, overall, I think you guys have been very well, even though you're both not in the same country, same state. I mean, because I know mostly Utah is like another country, uh, pretty much. I don't know if you've ever been to Utah. It's, it's like another country. Uh, but I'll ask you, I'll have to welcome Johnny into the fold of a uh, fellow douchebaggery as he's an honorary member until Sam gets back. <sighs> Fucking, I'm, I'm, I'm in traffic. Oh, you're a cunt. I hate people. Thank you, sir. Fuck. So if I sound a little distracted, it's because I'm driving. Oh, fuck. I hear you guys doing House of the Devil. I've not been able to watch it yet, but I, I picked it up with Amazon's bundle with the VHS, and I'm... Really happy that I got that version because it was it's just cool to kick, kick ass having a, a retro feel to it to have that clamshell VHS along with the DVD. Uh, I didn't get to watch it all the way through. I watched half of it. What I watched so far, I like. Um, I can't wait to see what you guys talk about, how you feel about it. Uh, what else? I don't know. I have nothing else. I think there's some other, with that non franchise show you did, Slasher, I think you should. You could have done, like, Slaughterhouse, which is a nice non-franchise slasher, or The Burning, which is a non-franchise slasher, or, um, I don't know, you could have just emailed Gray and asked him. He's a friggin', he seems to know what he's doing. Uh, Girls Night Out, Sorority Row, there's been another one. Uh, shit. What else? There's a whole bunch of them that I probably could think of, but offhand, I can't because I'm freaking driving, and I'm not particularly paying attention to the road while talking to you guys on the phone. Anyway, this is probably already crapped out, so I will have to talk to you guys another time. Uh, yeah. Johnny, welcome to the fold. Hopefully you can ch- you can keep up. And put out a fucking other YouTube video, for God's sake, you cheap bastard. I really like seeing your face. you got such a nice voice. you got such a cute face for a little kid. You're like, you're like nine years old or something. You're like more like Macaulay Culkin, all grown up and kind of creepy. I think I went too far. All right. Good day, sirs. And and finally, Mike, put something uh, dancing on the K7 line when you freaking beep. It makes no sense to who it is. I don't know if I'm calling you or calling someone else. If this comes on someone else's podcast, I'm fucked. Say goodbye. <laughs> dude, I love that guy, dude. <laughs> you know what? I actually forgot about the K7 line. For some reason, it just dropped our message. That's That's so funny, man. Um, so how do you how do you like being the Macaulay Culkin? That's awesome. Uh, well, and and I'm not nine. I'm fucking ten. Oh snap, dude! <laughs> i i get Rick, I get Ricky Schroeder and Macaulay Culkin all the time, man. All the no, time. Do you do you really? Oh, Ricky Schroeder the most, man. Fuck that silver spoon <laughs> bastard. But hey, I like Ricky. I'm gonna do another YouTube video, man. I'm gonna do one over the weekend just because. 
I can't be this lazy, dude. Holy shit. Well, and and plus, you what you'll need to do, too, is start emailing me when you put them up. Oh, I'm going to. And you should have been doing that before, but it's funny because I just all of a sudden noticed you have a new YouTube video up, and then I'd post it on Cadaver Lab. But now... I'm just going to tell you to email me and we'll, and we'll throw it up there. So, you know, and then we'll have everybody go over and, and comment and do whatever else on YouTube. Um, so yeah, douche, man, that's, that, that's, a, it's a lot of pressure to be in the douche bag podcasting network. Well, honorary douche. That just sounds awesome. Anyway, not, no, 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 <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're in dude. <laughs> um, so are you going to, are you going to be recording with this? Uh, we're actually recording a douche cast, Friday the it's tomorrow isn't is it? it? Yeah, it's tomorrow. But this this podcast won't be out till like Sunday. So we're actually recording on Friday, uh, Feb- or yeah, February twenty sixth. And so be on the lookout for a new episode of uh, the Douchecast five thousand. Um, but yeah, dude, are you gonna are you gonna be watching Meet the Feebles with us and uh, discussing that flick? No, man. I uh, I'm actually gonna be. What? I will join the next one. I have some plans for tomorrow, so okay, I'm gonna have to puss okay. out on it. Yeah, you realize that we're just gonna that that uh, I don't know if you've heard the the other uh, douche cast episodes, but basically all we do is uh, is talk shit about the ones who didn't show up. <laughs> but I've never shown up, so actually, well, that's that's what I'm saying. That never that 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 that's no excuse. You're you're in the fold now, so that's we're gonna be doing a lot of that. Hey, man. Anyway, hey, thanks thanks for the call, Vaughn. That was awesome. Yeah, man, thanks. And make sure you throw a Macaulay Culkin joke in there. <laughs> yeah, we will. Hey, Mike at Cadaver Lab. Uh... New Kruger dude. What's up? This is Zombie Ron calling in. First time caller. Kind of nervous a little bit. I uh, just want to call and let you know I've been listening to your show since you started. And miss Sam, but just listened to the new show. I had to say it was pretty good. Kruger dude was good. Enjoyed listening to his, uh, him talking about the show's Oh, I mean, not to say shows, but the movies, and uh thought he did a very good job to replace Sam. Well, there's no replacing Sam, but he did a very good job. And just like to say thanks for keeping Cadaver Lab going, even though it's Sam left Mike, and you do a good job. I listen to you every time you come out. I'm looking forward to more episodes. Y'all take care. Bye. Dude. I don't. I think people forget that that the show has been evolving for much longer than just Sam. We used to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Do you remember those days? Yeah. Did you ever listen? Was to it those? like six episodes or five episodes? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Oh, I don't even remember. It's funny because uh, I work with one of the guys who used to be in it, Paul. We're like we're like best we're like best buddies. And of course, Sam, you know, and so we're all a close knit group. So it was, it, and Jeff, the other guy was, is my little brother. It's like, yeah, that, that was, that was actually a lot more uh, uncomfortable making that ev- evolution than, uh, than this one was. <laughs> Man. <laughs> cause I, because I had to sit there and uh, still work with him for a while. There was a little bit of, uh, there was a little bit of uh, awkwardness, let's just say, but all in all, we made it. You know, I'm I'm pretty happy about the show. I I, I mean, if I I guess if I do say so myself, but uh, I think it's really awesome that uh, we've gotten some calls and we've gotten a ton of emails from people just just uh, supporting, you know, the change and everything like that. And I I'm, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no no reason to be nervous, Zombie Ron. Uh, I mean, that's an awesome voicemail, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got one last one, so let's uh, get to that one. Mike, my man. 
you are a fucking mad genius. Who is this? This is the quite mad, but far from a genius Metal Mikey calling in, or voicemailing, or whatever the fuck I'm doing in. But you know I host this little thing called Action Attraction. But... I finally got my first taste of the new Cadaver Lab today when I listened to episode 49, so I'm safely behind, as always. Now, I would have commented on the previous episodes, but I kind of felt that you'd get a flood of response from it, so... Of course, you know, hey, I wish Sam all the best, but Mike, holy shit, did you rebuild the Cadaver Lab ship into something glorious and magnificent in its own right. I mean, yeah, I'm going to miss the talk of vaginas and fur burgers. But you know what? I love hearing your segments with Steven, who, by the way, is just awesome in his own right. And, hey, you know, Gray already knows how much I love Dark Hours, so hearing him on Cadaver Lab with a little segment is just fine. But the true surprise, the true mind-blower... Oh, and I don't want to forget... Aaron, who's recommending the great sort of public domain features. I did want to, you know, I don't even want to sit at a public domain company, but when he was talking about the multi-DVD packs, there was one company that I think I should throw in a mix, and that would be my personal favorite, Video Asia. They haven't really done any horror sets yet, but for like a lot of exploitation, martial arts, action stuff, they've been doing really good in that front. But no, 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 no. I want to give proper kudos to Johnny, a.k.a. Kruger Dude, for towing the line as a co-host on the main feature of episode 49. Kruger Dude, Johnny, hold on. Let me see if this can be picked up. Yeah, according to Audacity, it was picked up. So that means you heard my applause. Bravo. Excellent job, my man. I mean, you already do a kick-ass job enough on your YouTube channel, and here you are, taking to podcasting like the swan to water. Oh, man, that that sounded like I was preparing an introduction to Twilight or some other bullshit. Anyways, I just wanted to let you know, Mike, and everybody else involved with the version 2.0 of Cadaver Lab right now, that you did an excellent job. And I'm about ready later on this evening to upload episode 50 onto the show. And, yeah, again, just wanted to say, excellent job. You know, unlike my own little slice of dumbassery out there. But, anyways, y'all take it easy. And, of course, you know I'm going to get back to you soon because you love my annoying dumbass voice. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Oh, Metal Mikey rocks, <laughs> dude. That was that was a freaking awesome. Uh, you know, it, I don't know. I'm all warm and fuzzy. Me too. <laughs> did you eat a Did you eat a York peppermint patty too? Uh, no. But I tell you what, that sure gave me a boner. What was it? The well, I'm glad he clarified that he was clapping because I thought, I thought he was spanking <laughs> off or something, man. <laughs> uh, is that what gave you the boner? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Anytime somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime someone calls me an evil genius, or what well, was it, a mad genius, uh, my, my, uh, never mind. Let's just say it's business time. <laughs> you need a jingle there, man. 
It's business time. Oh, that is. That's that flight of the Concords, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I thought I was being clever. No way, dude. You know what's funny about that? I won't even get into it. But uh, I sent it to my wife, and she replied, Yeah, that's just about it. And it kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Anyways, dude, that's all the voicemails we got. I, you know, I really appreciate uh, you guys calling in the voicemails. It's, uh, it's awesome to hear from everybody. Well, that's all we got for voicemails. So uh, let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll be right back with uh, the blood on Satan's claw. Hi, I'm Coffin John of the V Cinema Webcast. And I'm Josh of VariedCellulite.net. We're from the V Cinema Podcast a podcast dedicated to Asian, cult, and genre cinema. We cover all genres, from Shaw Brothers and Roman porno to heroic bloodshed and contemporary South Korean cinema. You can find us at vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net or in the iTunes store under vcinema. That website, again, is vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net. We're back. We uh, we've got uh, the rest of the unholy quad to talk about today. Um, you know what? Actually, I wanted to mention one thing that I'm pretty stoked about. Um, have you seen? And I, and I was gonna I was gonna ask you this uh, before we actually got into the voicemails. But uh, have you ever seen um, Night of the Creeps? Oh yeah, dude. I just got I just picked up that Blu-ray the other day. Well, I I, I ordered it from Amazon. Uh, have you gone through some of the uh, the extras? I watched part of the. They had like one that was about forty-five minutes long, and it was all interviews. Uh-huh. I watched most of that. You know, I I got it. I haven't actually watched the movie itself, and I haven't seen the movie in years. I think it was actually on demand a little while ago, and I completely missed it. Anyway, so but I watched all those extras, and it's got me pretty stoked to uh, to check that flick out. Anyways, uh, oh, but that'll look uh, badass in Blu-ray, man. Uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. Uh, all right, so let's get into it. Uh, the first movie that we're going to be talking about tonight is called The Blood on Satan's Claw. When the grave of the devil is disturbed by the plow, the satanic essence of evil wreaks violent and revolting revenge. But it weren't human, sir. There were a fire. And it was an animal's remains. It were more like some fiend. And the evil grows quickly, attacking first the youth of the village and making them the devil's children. Look, look. Oh, 
God, I prayed I'd never see that again. That's what they call the devil's skin. Doctor, witchcraft is dead and discredited. Are you bent on reviving forgotten horrors? How do we know, sir, what is dead? The blood on Satan's claws. It was like a horrible disease, highly contagious and deadly dangerous. Hail, Behemoth, spirit of the dark, take thou my blood, my flesh, my skin, and walk. Holy Behemoth, father of my life, speak now, come now, rise now from the forest, from the forest. The Blood on Satan's Claw stars Patrick Wymark as the judge who tries Satan and Linda Hayden as Angel Blake, daughter of Satan. In 1971, it was directed by Piers Haggard, and uh, it was written by Robert Wynne Simmons. Uh, The IMDb gave it a 6.2. I guess let's just get into the to the uh, the story a little bit. Uh, it says the film opens in 17th century England with Ralph Gower uncovering a deformed skull with one eye and strange fur upon it while plowing a field. The local judge is asked to look at it, but the skull has vanished and the judge disregards Ralph's supernatural fears. However, later, uh, <clears throat> many people in the village become affected by the supernatural power, including young women who sprouts a claw and children who behave... <laughs> Uh, for a second there, for a second there, I read it. A young woman who sprouts a clam. <laughs> sorry, sorry. And children who behave oddly after finding a strange claw and start to grow fur on their bodies. Uh, <laughs> damn it. The farmer who first found the skull rides to a neighboring town to find the local judge and bring him back to try to eradicate the evil. The judge does come back after having done some research in a book about witchcraft. After getting some info about a f- about a future cult gathering, the evil children in the village of the evil children in the village, the judge takes some men to the spot and and uh, will leave the rest to your imagination. Uh, yeah, there. Um, I was about to say there had nothing to do with clams, but I guess I really can't say that in good conscience. <laughs> Man. 
Oh, that's bad. <laughs> you know what? I hate. I hate, kind of hate to admit this, but the first thing I noticed when I started watching this, and I know this is so childish and asinine, is the fact that uh, I don't. I can't remember what he did, but there's somebody involved in this. Um, <laughs> In, in this production named Dick Bush. I wrote that down. <laughs> and, it, and I'm watching it with my wife, and I, I, from then on out, I just made dirty jokes the whole time. And I'll tell you what, this movie did a great job of keeping the opportunities for dirty jokes flowing. Oh, yeah. Well, and right when I saw Dick Bush, I immediately thought it was more of a condition than a name. <laughs> dude, like a medical condition that you... Yeah, dude, that's, that's freaking deep, dude. Well, you have a uh, Dick Bush... Uh, what did you think about the movie? I, you know, I really like this movie. Uh, I've never seen it before. I've seen a lot yeah, of these either. actors in other movies, though, so it was cool to see them in this. One thing I did, I, and I, I think I'm kind of a sucker for period pieces um, around that time. I mean, um, and I, I mean, I'm no history buff or anything like this. And this here says it was the 17th century, but I think there's always something about um, you know a movie that takes place in uh, you know a totally alien you know time period and environment that what than what we're used to now that i think really allows me to you know kind of get that level of escapism i don't know what do you think well it seems like a lot more goes into a movie where you have to focus on things like setting and right and putting it back in one of those you know one of those time periods as far as the story goes uh this was just basically a satanic type of uh, curse comes upon a small town and of course uh, there aren't too many people for it to uh, to affect without everybody in the in the in the town figuring it out or, or at least hearing about it uh, one thing that I thought was really funny is they start kind of accusing people of witchcraft you know there was one part where actually these guys throw this girl into a lake and if she if she drowns she's a witch or, I'm sorry if she floats she's a witch but if she doesn't float she's not a witch didn't they rip that from Monty Python? <laughs> I don't know, man. That seems like something I saw in uh, that Vincent Price movie, Witchfinder General. Oh, you know, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I think I think that's from that too. Is it really? Oh, something. I know there's a scene where they're hanging them off bridges, and I think they're like holding them underwater for long periods of time. Oh, you're kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> really. So, uh, what'd you think? Dude, you know, this the thing I really liked was, you know. It seemed like a lot of the cast was really young, and the acting was really superb, man. They were, like, really good actors. Another thing that kind of got me with this movie was you really didn't... Well, maybe you might have. I don't. I couldn't spot immediately whether or not, you know, the judge was a villain or, you know, what was going right. on. And they didn't really... They didn't really allude to the fact that the kids were actually going to be the villain until the villains until much later. Right, and you know the thing is, is really the only indication that anything real was going on, and it wasn't, and this wasn't a film about uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, just like a, a witch hunts and yeah, things like that, is the fact that those who had been affected by, I guess, the, uh, Satan or or whatever, uh, what was it, Satan exactly? Or, I, they kept saying his name, and I could not remember. The, their their gods quote unquote their god's name and it uh, I can't remember, I couldn't really understand exactly what she was saying but the only indication that uh, people were involved in this was a patch of pubic hair somewhere on their body uh, like for instance some on the back some on the leg anyway I would but, I would uh, compare that more to bear fur yeah it was like well, a big huge patch of hair man <laughs> <laughs> no it, you know and the thing is is it's like um, there, there was a couple of parts that the bear fur was fine and you could tell this was, uh, you know, the, 
there weren't a lot of uh, a lot of gore and there wasn't a lot of blood like no i mean there was some but not like a ton of it but um you know i, I as far as uh, a, a film like this goes i don't really think that there needs to be since it, i think a lot of it's psychological and a lot of it just is kind of uh you know, dealing with the town and their and their ability to handle this anyways. Well, a lot of it's implied. I think they focus more on that. I really like Linda Hayden, and she was in this. She was the, um, what did she play in this? She played the main girl, uh, Angel. Oh, yeah. Leader, yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, she was in The Drink the, the Blood of Dracula, or Taste the Blood of yeah, Dracula. Right. And she was in uh-huh. uh, Madhouse, the Vincent Price movie. Uh-huh. And every time you see her, man, she's got one of those, you know, things that are, you know, boosting her freaking boobs up real high and <laughs> and it's funny because those are later movies in her career and i'm thinking you know i wonder if she's ever done anything before she got naked and this movie i thought she was like 15 and they got her naked pretty fast well, i hope she wasn't fifth freaking teen. i don't well i don't think legally she could have been <laughs> right. but i didn't expect it either you know, we were talking on Twitter earlier about how I said that this movie should be called The Blood on Satan's Harry Bush because of her in it. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, I kind of started thinking about gross things like, uh, I won't even say it. Oh, by the way, it was, cin- it was the cinematography that was done by Dick Bush. Oh, yeah. Anyway. He was the director of photography, yeah. You know, and, and, and to get back to what you're saying about the acting, there was one point especially, the, the, the movie starts out with... Um, you know, a young man coming home with his bride-to-be, and uh, they come back, and this is after the, uh, the this evil entity has been unleashed, and they come back, and the girl who, what do you call it, his fiance, basically, you know, they come back, they, you know, they get to meet the family and whatnot, she gets, like, possessed by some kind of, a, of this entity, and I actually think she did a great job in kind of portraying the madness that she did that, that uh, she was going through without kind of being too cheesy did, did she had that little look oh when she, you know when she was coming down about? the stairs oh yeah, that's exactly creepy, dude exactly i know exactly and that and that's uh, i think that was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie of course especially except for the last part when it was uh um you know when the shit was hitting the fan and all that stuff. Yeah, it had a really good ending. I really like that. So how do, how did we how did we choose this movie? Because I had never really even seen this movie before. I've never even really heard of this movie before. I think I actually um, picked it based on the fact that Linda Hayden was in it. Oh really? Yeah, because it's not it's not on DVD. I don't think. And I think well, it's region two, but I uh-huh. I've never seen it, so I've been wanting to see it for a long time. Well, you know, and the thing is, I'm really glad that we had a chance to see it because I, I don't think it was, like, the greatest movie of all time. In fact, uh, I mean, there, there were a couple of things about it that I didn't really like. For instance, uh, it, it uh, um, I, I think it kind of ran a little bit long. It felt like it. Yeah, and I, and I kind of lost interest in a couple of, uh, a couple of parts. But um, all in all, I mean, I thought, I thought this was a pretty solid flick. And I'm, I'm just... I'm just curious because this is another movie that I haven't really heard too many other people talk about, period. The only thing in this movie that I have a complaint about is the music. Like, it just, it seemed like it didn't fit with the movie very well, uh-huh. especially toward the beginning of the movie. But, you know, I can I can let that go because the rest of the movie was pretty good. Well, and also it seems to me that uh, the soundtracks from the 1970s, you know, a lot of times didn't uh, kind of had that ill-fitting feel to them. You know what I mean? Like, they, like the person never even saw the movie. They just kind of wrote the music on the side. 
Well, and it, that usually happens in, in like, for instance, uh, opening scenes or parts that aren't really, or, or maybe character building parts and not really relevant to the actual story, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think that does take me out a little bit. I, you know, I get that a lot, especially with like Italian movies for some reason, and maybe, and I don't know why that is. I just think every movie I'm coming up with, I'm think is an Italian movie that I'm thinking about, like uh, like some of Fulci's and even Argento's from back in the day. Yeah, but no. So I understand what you're saying. Um, but no, man. I thought you know, up until the very end, it kind of had you wondering what was going to happen. And I don't know. I mean, I think we could spoil this movie. It's been out, it's been around since '73, I think, or '71. Well, I don't know. I mean, just because just because it's been out that long, I don't think uh, it doesn't really mean that everybody's seen it. Hell, we don't uh, we don't spoil the cadaver classics. Oh, you know, I won't spo- <laughs> I won't spoil this, but I will say that in the end, it kind of. It kind of caught me off guard because I didn't expect the climax to be what it was. You didn't expect the climax to have like twenty seconds of straight booby. Well, no, that's actually one of the best parts, man. Is that this movie? The the, the director and I guess the DP Dick Bush knew <laughs> they knew how to end a movie on a high note, man. They flashed titties in your face for about a good ten minutes and then roll yep. credits. There's yep. no better way to end a movie, man. That's you know, the movie I want to make is going to be just like that. Man, I'll tell you what, I was spent after it was done in more ways than one. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I will agree with you that this movie, it felt really long, but it, it said it was only 93 minutes, so. Yeah, it did. It seemed to me to be longer than 93 minutes. Well, there were a lot but, of parts that just kind of, you know, they just. Well, and, and the thing is, is, the, uh, is uh, I think some of the parts that, that we, they could have cut out were kind of almost redundant. For instance, uh, you know, they talk to the judge or they talk to the uh, – uh, what was that What was that guy that uh, was visiting? And, the doctor? Uh, vis- uh, no, no, no. The the guy that was wearing that, like, curly wig thing. Oh, yeah. Was that- he was a judge. Anyway. Oh, was he the judge? He's the same, yeah, guy. same guy. He looked different to me. Anyway, so I think just kind of talking with him about it, I think it just kind of seemed to be a little redundant for me. But, I mean, it, it, it's forgivable uh, It's for- be- only because um, – uh, I think the atmosphere was good, and of course, I think the films from 1970s, um, you know, kind, they kind of have this feel. And this had this definitely had a 70s uh, feel as far as like um, film quality and uh, maybe cinematography. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out my ass, but it, it did kind of seem to me that this was, uh, you know, filmed like most films are filmed in. 1970. Does that make sense? Because that was a lot of saying the word film. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense, dude. <laughs> All right, you wouldn't you wouldn't be bullshitting me, right? And just and just and just kind of <laughs> let me sound like a dumbass when I when I release it. No, it sounds cool, man. You know, the thing that the whole movie we were talking about the judge earlier. When he got uh-huh. a hold of that book, that's what I was. You know, I was kind of expecting him to go on this. You know, like demon demon ra- demon raising like rampage or something. He yeah. seems shady, man. The whole movie and. And he did, and he never really turned out to be some evil, self-righteous bastard, really. I mean, he acted like it, but he never really killed a bunch of people in his quest to, you know, save one or two people. Well, I guess that's a testament to his acting, man, because he had had me believe in the character, I guess. Uh, Anyway, what do you give this? This movie, I would give this a red box. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm right with you there. Like I said, I mean, it's good it's atmosphere. I don't think this uh, stands uh, too far. You know, I, I think it kind of melts into the the background with a lot of the other movies that were coming out at this time. 
Um, however, it did have its ups and it did have its good things uh, to to make it fun to watch. You know, and this movie had a memory count of let's see, thirteen. Son of a b- well, right, and then there's one at the end where you see it for like a, like twenty seconds and then. Look away 20 more seconds, look away, you know. Yeah, I mean, why are they going to so, make, you know, Avatar 3D? Let's see this movie in 3D, man. <laughs> it was right there in your face. Hey, James Cameron, oh. hey, if, if it'll make them feel better, they can, you know, go back over it and paint them blue. I don't care. <laughs> you know what, dude? Maybe we should uh, maybe we should start a petition to add giant boobies to Natiri <laughs> and, and see if he'll just add those in on some kind of a, of a director's cut on the Blu-ray. You know, I doubt that's going to be the extended cut. Exactly. The extended cut, because you're going to be extended once you watch it. Uh, Did you get any What Did I Learn? I did. I actually got quite a few What Did I Learn. First of all, the devil is really hairy. (laughs) Um, Number two, old people are scary as hell when they watch two people having sex. Oh, that wasn't sex, dude. (laughs) That was a full-on rape. Yeah, well, right, but well, well yeah, but you, you get you know. No, what I'm I don't. Yeah. About. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I learned is that uh, vaginas can grow on backs and on legs. <laughs> That's good. That's nice. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Um, for what did I learn? I learned to never stick my hand into dark holes. <laughs> yeah, what the crap? Everybody did it, man. It's like, who does that? <laughs> and then there's like some giant bear claw ready to get you. <laughs> um. I learned to never play a game of cannibals. <laughs> that That's a good point. Because if someone says, hey, you want to play cannibal? Uh, no, not really. They're, they're going to tie you up and rape you? Yeah, that's not going to end well, man. <laughs> Especially if you have the devil's bear fur on you. Exactly. And I also learned last that women sink like a stone. They do. <laughs> Unless they're witches, of course. <laughs> Uh, I got a six degrees. Um, Linda Hayden was in Taste the Blood of Dracula with Christopher Lee, who's in Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp, who's in Ed Wood with Bill Murray, who was in Charlie's Angels with Tim Curry, who's in Congo with Bruce Campbell. Nice. <laughs> yes. Man. I thought you I thought for a second there when you stopped at Bill Murray, I thought it was done. <laughs> that was, oh, come on, man. <laughs> that was pretty good though. Did, <laughs> you got anything else? Uh, yeah, did you get any who else said that? Uh, you know, I didn't. Oh, man, I have a couple of them. A fiend has been seen hereabouts hobbling on one leg. That was Paul McCartney to the authorities after his nasty divorce with Heather Mills. I don't get it. Um, he, She had a, one leg. Oh, that's right. <laughs> she was on, like, Dancing with the Stars or some yeah, crap, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she had the wooden legs. She was spinning around and stuff. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe I was. That's the only episode of Dancing with the Stars I've ever seen. And trust me, I'm not Bullshit. kidding you. Yeah, no, trust me. And I was with my brother who just sat there and made peg leg jokes the whole damn time and had me rolling. How could I possibly forget that? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. That made me almost want to watch that show, man. The, the one-legged thing? Oh, well, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Uh, I didn't realize how many peg leg jokes there are out there, but now I do. <laughs> and uh, actually, that's all I got for who else said that. I have another one, but it's kind of stupid. Oh, come on. Throw it on. If it sucks, I'll edit it all out. Right. Right. I am ready to return, but understand I shall use undreamed-of measures to conquer the evil. That was Justin Timberlake when asked about a possible NSYNC reunion. Was he an NSYNC? <laughs> yeah. J- just, just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, you're, you're baiting me on that one, man. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding, dude. Awesome. Uh, so is that it? Are we ready to uh, take a quick break? Yeah, dude. All right, let's do it. Well, hello there. Are you looking for a massive drunken horror podcast? Well, the Drunken Zombie Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things horror. 
So head over to DrunkenZombie.com and have a listen. While you're there, sign up to the Drunken Zombie forums and friend us on our Facebook group. Massive. Sentinel from 1977. It's one of the nicer tree line blocks in New York, and only 20 minutes from the center of town. Oh, and just around the corner there's a supermarket and the cleaners. That's Father Harron in 5A. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? <laughs> there is danger everywhere. <laughs> There is evil, evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. Before Halloran, there was Father David Spinetti. Before him, Mary Thorin becomes Sister Mary Angelica. Father Matthew Halloran dies the same day that Allison Parker disappears and becomes Sister Teresa. I call me! A horror conclusion! Expedite our glory! Is the Sentinel the only thing that stands between the mortal world and the torment of hell? Between happiness and horror? She went to a party with eight dead murderers. Eli Wallach. Doesn't everybody? Have a hat and noisemaker. Sylvia Miles. Nobody has lived in that building for three years. Ava Gardner. Martin Balsam. Jose Ferrer. Arthur Kennedy. There is danger. Swear to God, I'll kill you! Chris Sarandon. I'll kill you! Burgess Merritt. Welcome home. And Christina Raines. The Sentinel. The most frightening motion picture experience of your life. And the most revealing. Turn around. Look behind you. Be one with us. No! There is evil everywhere. And the Sentinel is the only hope. 
the Sentinel. Not ready for marriage, fashion model Allison Parker moves into an unbelievably nice Brooklyn Heights apartment where scary occurrences turn into a much more frightening turn of events. Her neighbors include a blind priest, a kinky lesbian couple who actually uh, part-time as DJs, and a, fan- yes. <laughs> and a fantastically <laughs> wicked man carrying a pet bird and a cat with him at all times. So um, this is one of those movies, like, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm gonna. Well, and and that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna. Uh, I was just gonna say that uh, I think a lot of the success of this movie, or the enjoyment of the watcher, uh, or the person viewing the movie, is actually kind of discovering, you know, what's going on instead of. Yeah, uh, um, it's funny though because the I think the uh, the trailer for this movie really gives a lot of it. It really does, dude. I mean, they say. I mean, I'm not gonna say it, but they say something in the trailer that tells you pretty much what's going on. Right. I actually already listened to it, and I'm wondering if we even should put one in. <laughs> hey, that Because it's like, damn, you know, you just need to go and watch this movie. I mean, it's, it's an excellent movie, man. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically, Allison, when she moves into this apartment, she, her, she finds out her father passed away. Right. And when she goes back to his funeral, she starts having these flashbacks when she was traumatized, you know, when she walked on, in on him and two ladies having cake sex. I mean, I I don't understand that whole eating cake and having sex thing, but hedonistic. It was it was pretty weird, man. Uh, absolutely. But um, so after that, she tries to kill herself, and basically, she's having these flashbacks. So it kind of shows you the state of mind she's in. It establishes that she wants space from her boyfriend Michael because of his recent. You know, he had two wives that killed themselves, and one was pretty recent. Right. So, uh, and that's kind of a side story in this. You know, he's under investigation by Christopher Walken for. The, it seems really fishy that a lawyer has two wives that both kill themselves, and his new girlfriend has tried to kill herself. Right. But that's not the that's not the strange thing about this movie, and and I'm really not going to go too much more. I mean, strange occurrences happen, and they cause her to call on Michael as as well as her once abandoned faith. You know, for answers. You know, and that's pretty much all I'm going to say about the plot synopsis. IMDb gave this movie a 6.1, and it actually that's a lot higher than I thought it would be on there. And I and I I agree with that. I'm, I may even give it a little more, but mm-hmm. but um, that's a pretty good rating for IMDb for a movie that you most know, people haven't even heard of. I don't think that this has widespread appeal, you know, to people really outside. I mean, I I, I mean, I don't want to make a uh, a broad stroke statement, broad sweeping statement or whatever. But this doesn't really this isn't action packed. You know, this is actually another fairly, you know, slow burn type of movie. And we had, and God, it seems like we did all, all three of these were pretty, you know, weren't action packed movies, you know, no. they're all really story based and, you know, and, uh, you know, it has a lot of dark themes in it and, uh, you know, it's not the, it's not kind of like your, uh, like the dark themes in, you know, really popular movies, you know, are, are there, but it, they're not like the focus. Whereas, you know, suicide, threesomes with fat chicks, murderers, you know, hell, all this other stuff are the main points of the movie. And uh, I think that uh, the way that they, they shot this movie, um, first of all, and I was actually listening to TL Bug. Oh, yeah. They actually, they actually just did this on one of their podcasts. And, we, and uh, we actually thought of doing this movie before I listened to it, so don't waste me. But uh, I, he, he mentioned something on his that he, he said uh, that this reminded him of an Italian movie. And, you know, I had the exact same sentiment for it because um, the first time I saw it, I, I never would have guessed that this was a, you know, a, you, a, an American created film. Whereas it definitely was. Well, and even the, even the audio, the dialogue in this seemed like it was all done in post. 
It did. Like an Italian movie. Exactly. And, well, and I think just, it's hard to, I think it's just a lot of dealing with the camera angles, the, um, you know, it almost seemed very Fulci-esque to me. Like, and I think, I think I'm still in this from their podcast again, where he said that this could have been another one of the, um, uh, Fulci's Seven Doors Oh yeah, films. dude! I didn't even think about that. That that makes perfect sense, man. You know, in in uh, if, if for those who've already seen that and who we haven't already ruined this for, um, they that makes perfect sense. In fact, I this looks just like that. It looks and it feels just like it. Um, I don't. I, I do. I don't think that the uh, that the dubbing was quite as bad as it is is a Fulci movie, obviously. But uh, no, it matched up a lot better. It just it just seemed like it seemed like it was all done later. Right, and uh, and half the people weren't speaking Italian, and the other half speaking English too. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that really struck me with this movie, and I hadn't seen this in years until we. I mean, I'd seen it before a few times, but I hadn't seen it in probably six, seven years. And uh, when I pulled it out again and started watching, I was actually pretty. Um, pretty impressed with all the the names in this movie yeah man. you know there, there were so many people there's there was chris sarandon um uh, christina Raines, who played the main girl uh let's see we had john carradine uh ava gardner we had uh let's see who else burgess meredith of course um and then let's see who else did we have christopher walken jerry orbach uh what's his name uh the doctor or not the doctor uh the uh, yeah, the doctor from uh, I can't remember his name. Damn it, Lost World, Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. We had uh, Tom Berenger. We have, uh, I don't know if you guys. DJ Beverly. She was on this. Oh, and I and I was going to mention in Beverly D'Angelo as you've never seen her before. Oh, and and everybody <laughs> has to see this movie just just for that one scene alone. <laughs> oh man, absolutely. You know, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to to uh, steal your. Uh, Oh, that's cool. Your your momentum. Did you see that Richard Dreyfuss was in this? No, I didn't. Yeah, apparently he's uncredited, but he's a man on the sidewalk. Oh, I freaking hate Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> Why's <is> that? <laughs> I don't know. He's just such a little bitch. I, I don't know. Oh man. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and uh, lastly, just based on the uh, you know the synopsis and stuff, it was directed by Michael Winner and written by Jeffrey mm-hmm. Convitz. I'm just gonna go ahead and say right now that. Before they put all the ghoul makeup on her dad, that he was one creepy son of a bitch, man. Well, he was, I mean, he was, like, deathly skinny. Oh, he was like Dr. Satan from House of a Thousand Corpses. He was, and the thing is, he was all, his, his I mean, I guess we, we only saw him in uh, compromising or uh, positions or when he was made up to be creepy. But, he, I mean, his hair was kind of, he looked kind of dirty. And these people, I mean, in, in growing up, these people were loaded. I guess that's how a skinny, ugly guy gets uh, threesome with two chicks is by being loaded. <laughs> you know what I just realized? No. That we didn't do a kick in the balls on the last movie. Oh, we didn't? No, dude. I had one, too. I just saw that. <laughs> All right, what's your kick in the My balls? My kick in the balls for the last movie. I'm sorry to get off here. Um, it was just for the uh, the rapist, the guy, the young guy who rapes that chick. Therapist? No, yeah, the the therapist. <laughs> yeah, let's say that. That's a little easier on my ears, man. <laughs> no, mine go mine goes to those two damn old people for freaking me out. <laughs> it was like they were watching freaking Mash or something. These <laughs> old people watching Mash. Uh, you know what? It's funny as I actually meant Matlock, and I just said Mash. 
<laughs> I don't know why it's a mash, dude. Because I actually can, I can watch the mash. I used to watch a match with my grandpa all the time, so, yeah, that fit right in. Oh, anyway. All right, so we can get back to, uh, man, I'm sorry to get back. We'll get back into the Sentinel. <laughs> I don't really think that scene with Beverly D'Angelo, I don't really think she was acting. I would call her the best actress ever if she was. Well, she peeled it off pretty quick. Uh, oh, wait, did I just give it away? <laughs> I've never heard it called peeled it off. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, how many? I, I wanted to look and see how many takes that took. The, th- the thing is, is it probably took six takes, and so she, she was already, like, warmed up right for that part. <laughs> so so in the actual scene, it only shows, like, 15 seconds of it. I'll tell you what, though. Um, the, this is – we're talking about a scene where uh, – what's her name? Christina Raines uh, is, is meeting her new – uh, building mates, her, I guess, uh, you know, who have apartments in the same building. She goes down there. She doesn't know these people. And first of all, they're really, really creepy wearing like ballet, uh, tights, things like that. I, I don't know if there's like a special word for ballet clothes. Um, no, but, but even, I mean, even the older woman is, is just very off putting, you know, and, and Beverly D'Angelo doesn't really talk at all. This the scene we're talking about is the 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 older uh, apparently uh, the older one of the couple walks out to get some tea or coffee or whatever, and Beverly D'Angelo just peels one off right in front of uh, Christina Raines. And the thing is, is it's like that made me uncomfortable. Did it really? Well, I mean, I was just like, wow. I, I think it was I mean, meant I, to though because it was just such a lewd thing for someone you just met. Well, and I mean, it's not like for it's not like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so offended, you know. But it was just like, oh my gosh, that kind of just set me on edge, made me just a little bit like, wow. And you could tell that. Uh, I mean, obviously, she was, uh, you know, not too happy about it as well. <laughs> man, she was going at it. she was DJing so so hard, man. She should have had one hand up on her ear, yelling, "Everybody, everybody, scream!" <laughs> she's the only one that did the screaming that's the big problem oh yeah dude Uh, the special effects in this movie i really dug them man you know i did too and there's actually one scene and i don't think we should set it up because i don't really want to uh to tell say what's going on but they actually used real sideshow freaks for a part of this movie and and i know that this is weird talking about when we start talking about special effects because i just wanted to mention that none of that was really special effects or very little of it was special effects that's what was off-putting to me man were those freaks oh it because I remember watching it thinking, oh, my gosh, that's probably real. And then I looked it up, and sure enough, there's one guy that freaking had a nutsack hanging from his bottom lip. <laughs> he looked like a baboon's ass. <laughs> and, the, and the, you know, the, I thought it was kind of funny because you had like a, like, a, like a lizard woman, and then you had your, uh, you know, the, the nutsack guy, and then you had a couple, of, uh, a couple of other guys. And then you just had some, like, normal midgets. I didn't realize that uh, – oh, I, I, I shouldn't say what I didn't realize. But <laughs> midgets for freaks. Well, well, I'm gonna. I'll cut this out. But I said I didn't. I'm not, I didn't realize that midgets go to hell just for being midgets. <laughs> I think it's the. Uh, I think it's for all the the stealing of Lucky Charms. <laughs> As I'm taking a drink, I don't know anything else you you have to say about the uh, the part or any kind of specific um, scenes in the movie. Uh, not really. There were some really cool. There were some really cool scenes where she would wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, weird things were happening. Like her ceiling fan was, you know, or it was her light was like kind of spinning in a circle from the ceiling. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and she had, you know, she had some brass cojones, dude, because getting up and walking around that huge apartment building in the pitch black. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And she <laughs> and it wasn't exactly, you know, 
to her benefit either walking around that place. Well, and the thing is, is her even her quote unquote good neighbors were really weird. Were just weird, you know. And 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 I guess one thing we forgot to mention is the fact that uh, um, here she is. I, I mean, she was. We also forgot to mention that she's a supermodel. But uh, anyway, she's ever since she moved in, a lot of just like weird, strange things happening, included including uh, those those types of dreams, and including like a supposed empty. Uh, a lot of noise coming from a supposed empty apartment right above her. Oh, and all sorts of creepy things. I did. I just did remember seeing when you you mentioned that was the uh, the birthday party for the cat Jezebel. Oh, dude, that was a pretty weird scene. Well, it's it, they they gather all these characters together. And, you know, I guess on the uh, on the uh, on the surface there, I don't really want to say normal because they're definitely eccentric. You know, at the very least. But uh, you know they didn't like seem what they ended up turning out to be. But they were that whole that whole thing just I wouldn't I don't know if I would have stayed in that apartment complex because those people were were just there you could tell there was some off putting about or something not right about them. But you really could never you I, it was hard for me to pinpoint what it was. I mean because you, uh, Bar- uh, what's his name Burgess Meredith is uh, comes over and visits and was very nice and very polite maybe a little bit pushy and and uh not really that um respectful of uh you know her her personal space or whatever but you know all in all he just seemed like a harmless old guy if you if you kind of or he, you you could just kind of explain him as a harmless old guy but th- you could tell there was something off well especially with the other people man i mean he he was the least menacing character in the beginning Right. Yeah. Still, that's what I'm saying. Still, he, there was just something about him that you were just like, "Ooh, man." Well, you know, and, uh, and not to give anything away, but the next day after that party, when she talks to the the landlord of the building, yeah, you know, or I think it's the landlord. She. Uh, I think she's just a. Uh, I think she's just a. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, oh my god! Like a leasing person, the yeah. realtor or whatever. Real estate. That's what I said. Yeah, the realtor. After the conversation they have that next day. I would be out, dude. I'm done. Like I wouldn't. I oh, wouldn't be in that apartment complex. Yeah, and then that's when she starts wanting to c- get to the bottom of what all the, what all these strange things is. No way, dude. I would be out of there. But you know what? I thank God she didn't because it made it made the climax of this movie really awesome. Well, that's true. That would have sucked as a movie. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the mammary count on this movie, dude, was let's see, twenty five. I I don't know how many quality though there were. There weren't a lot of them, but I also did another category too, and this was basically for any scene in which you they weren't naked, but you saw like full on nipple. Yeah. And oh, it, there yeah. were fifteen of those. Man, she she would take off her shirt and be wearing a bra where you could see straight through it. Or <laughs> it's funny that that uh, that actually led to a conversation with my wife about why nipples are the only part of the boob that dudes like. <laughs> Well, well, not the only part, but it doesn't count as seeing a boob unless you do see the nipple. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I couldn't explain to her why, but but uh, that, that led to it. Well, and if you ever date a girl, or if you ever meet a girl without nipples, man, run. You got nothing. <laughs> you just have two freaking sandbags. It's like two <laughs> raccoons in a gunny sack fighting to get out. Dude, dude that's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think that uh, one thing that I that I did like about this movie, and it's it's almost refreshing. I, I realize this is an old movie, but um, it seems to be, and, and actually you could say this about House of the Devil as well. It takes itself seriously, and yet it never betrays that. 
You know, I mean, it never, there's never a, a moment where a character, or like one of the actors steps out of character and, you know, and, and makes some kind of, you know, turns, tries to turn it into a comedy or, or, you know, whatever. And listen, I'm all for horror comedies, things like that. But I mean, they, when they play it this straight up and this serious, you know, I think it gets, a, sometimes it gets a little distracting when, you know, they come out and kind of take the movie in a different direction just for a short period of time. And uh, this is pretty much just, you know, here's this dark story with these dark themes, and it seemed dark all the way through. Well, in any movie that kind of deals with this subject matter, you know, with um, anything satanic or, you know, devil cults or anything like that, it, uh-huh. I just, I don't, I, I can't think of any of them that have ever had comedy in there, because I think that does pull you out of it if they were to put something like that in there. Well, it would definitely, since since a lot, I think a lot of those movies probably work more on suspense and and uh, you know, I mean, obviously that I mean the uh, the anticipation of what exactly is going to happen, you know, uh, I, I I think that that's a good thing for this type of you know film is just building the anticipation, you know, making people anxious to figure out what's going on. And yeah, I think you're right. Once once you kind of step out of that, it, you lose something. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, and, and uh, you know, and that's that's totally different than, you know, for instance, like a like in like an Evil Dead where it's played for you know whatever you know. So it's just a different kind of movie. Oh yeah, I mean, well, and I think altogether, I think a movie like Evil Dead is presented to the audience as being a more fun kind of movie. Absolutely. So I mean, you it kind of yeah, lends itself to being that kind of movie. I wouldn't really call this a a fun romp. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, you know, because that uh, looked like the dad was having a fun romp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, I can't believe that big girl didn't like uh, break him in half. Anyhow, um, so th- this was not definitely not a feel good movie. It wasn't uh, really quickly paced. Um, however, I think it just was dark and it was creepy. Uh, to to make it very enjoyable. Like I said, different kind of movie than uh, you know a lot of horror movies that come out. But I think this did. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, you know what? This does seem more like a more like in the vein of The Exorcist. You know, where you know obviously it's not like a ripoff necessarily, but it's but it's just something that uh, really tries to make its point of this is dark. This is dirty. You know, we're, you know, we're dealing with, you know, things that where the, the sun don't shine. And I'm not talking about assholes. I'm just <laughs> saying stuff where there's never any any type of uh, happiness or whatever. Anyway. You know, I actually read that, that this movie, when it came out, it was considered to be an exorcist ripoff. Oh, really? Yeah, it didn't do that well because of that. You know, the thing is, is I don't. I don't really see this at all as an exorcist ripoff. It's not. I mean, I think they I mean, may have marketed maybe, it that I way. Mean the th- oh, you know, and that that could definitely be because, I mean, some of the themes are the same, you know. And uh, maybe if they were trying to um, kind of play off the, the wake of the exorcist. Because, what, this came out four years after? Was this 77? Uh, I thought exorcist yeah, was 76, wasn't it? Uh, no, I think, I think exorcist was 73 and this was 77. Oh, wow. Way off. Um, so. You know, and I can vouch for this movie. There are no crucifix masturbation scenes. Right. They lost, they lost and, points uh, for that. Oh, come no, on. Just... <laughs> what would you give this movie, man? I, I, it's a really high buy for me. I, I, it's hard for me to explain 
what I didn't like about this. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there, there, there were. Th- it kind of made me feel not like dirty, but it kind of made me feel dark. And it kind, you know, and it's not a feel good movie. And it's just, I just, I mean, but it was. I think it was really well put together. I think it, um, the 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 building that most of the stuff took place in was was a, I think a really great setting for this type of film. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't see myself watching this five hundred times. Uh, I give this movie a buy, and nope. I was gonna I was gonna go bone saw on it, but I watch I watch this movie about once a year, and mm-hmm. you know it's good for that. But I wouldn't say it. I mean, like it had some musical cues and things that were kind of off, and so I don't want to give it a bone saw. But it definitely a buy, man, because it's definitely worth having in the collection. I, I mean, this is definitely a recommend. It's um, I don't I, this is I think this is another one. I don't think this is a, 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 a hit for all people. No. You know? Even I, even where Exorcist maybe wasn't a hit for all people, it, it, it was such a big deal that a lot of people who aren't necessarily horror fans probably ended up seeing that just out of curiosity. You know, and it shocked them or whatever. I, I don't even think that's that the Sentinel falls into that category. I think that it's probably, you know, for the horror fan, for someone who, who can sit down, because you need a little bit of patience to watch this movie, because it's not a quick movie. There's a, I mean, and, and you also have to deal with kind of a depressing type of, um, you know, themes going on. For instance, suicide and uh, depression and... Christopher Walken. Uh, Christopher, yeah. <laughs> Christopher Walken. But you know what I mean. Yeah, no, anyway. that make, no it makes perfect sense. Do you have a kick in the balls for this one? Uh, I do have a kick in the balls, and that is uh, for <laughs> – it's, it's hard really for me to decide. I really got bugged when uh, when uh, Burgess Meredith was walking around her uh, apartment and left a picture of himself in there as if, you know, whatever. But I think the kick in the balls has to go with uh, to the dad because uh, that dude was so rich he could have got some hotter chicks. Yeah, that house was like a mansion, man. Yeah, yeah, the, he that guy was loaded. But I mean, he seemed like he was into some pretty weird shit, and so that's true. Maybe me teach their own, I guess. Um, my kick in the balls for this goes to the Catholic Church because, <laughs> like overall, yeah, because well, because assuming that being blind makes something less scary, <laughs> that's just man. Come on. What? What do you mean? Well, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, the priest upstairs was blind, and just right. think of the stuff he heard. Day in, day out. Oh, oh, I see. I, I see what you're saying. Oh my saying. God, man! They knew what was going on, and they stuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would be terrified, <laughs> well, man. So, so for for sticking that guy up there and making him put up with all that BS. Oh yeah. And and oh, I see. hey, I have nothing against the Catholic Church other than that. Well, th- <laughs> other, you know, other than a movie probably most likely made not by the Catholic yeah. Church. Well, no, it had that stamp of approval on it. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Did you get a what did I learn? Um, I did learn to knock first. <laughs> all, always. And uh, that's about it. Well, I learned that sometimes people can have <laughs> naked cake parties. <laughs> wow. We, that was a learning experience for both of us. You know, I have a few other what, I, what did I learn things, but uh, they're all spoilers. Oh, and I did that too, and I'm trying to keep them out of here. Yeah. I learned that penguins can be super creepy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> penguins sometimes carry cats and parakeets around. Oh man! <laughs> and sometimes the parakeets get eaten by cat. 
Uh, you know, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I cut you off when you were talking about the special effects, but I mean, there were a few like, but just like makeup effects with, uh, with the eyeball. Let's just say, you know, and just like, like the, the dad after death. Okay. We'll, we spoil a little bit, but you get to see the dad out, dead, you know, and that dude is that he just looks creepy. I think that again, that kind of is a nod to the type of, uh, special effects that Lucio Fulci would have done. Oh, definitely, you know, man. There's, there's not, like, the ultra gore, like, in a Fulci movie. But it, it, even, the, even the, the, the makeup effects, things like that, was really reminiscent of that. Well, there's an arm stabbing where they, they, pra- they practically show you the knife going all the way down the, you know, the bicep of the arm, and that was, that was right. pretty graphic. And yeah. wasn't there – it was an eye stabbing pretty close to that, too. Yeah, but you don't have, like, all the guts coming out and making me throw up as I eat my egg sandwich. <laughs> no. Well, I, I think this movie, on a bigger budget, or if it were directed by Fulci, could have could have gone there. I agree with you. Oh, yeah. I totally Especially agree Especially in that you. final scene. And, it, yeah, it, it would have totally been a natural thing as well. Um, I don't think this movie suffers because it's not that, necessarily. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that it would have been a better movie, necessarily, if, you know, it had more Fulci-esque uh, uh, scenes. Because, I mean, I do think that sometimes Fulci's a little overindulgent with his uh, uh, gore scenes. But that's just me. No, it's, it's true, though. Well, especially with the... Well, I love Fulci, too. Don't get oh, me I do, too. His later movies, though, were, like, <laughs> just ridiculous in parts. Really? Yeah, well, like, Cat in the Brain and movies like them. I mean, I love those movies, but... Uh-huh. I, think... I haven't even seen that one yet. Oh, it gets pretty out of hand. <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of the charm of those kind of movies. Yeah, I agree. Any who else said that? Uh, no, man, I am ill prepared. I have a couple of them. Let's see, Mom, I just can't go. Here, take one of these. That is the last Xlax commercial I saw. <laughs> um, the next one is, um, I'll be gone for a few days, long enough for me to to defend my convertible freak. That is Optimus Prime's lawyer. Awesome. And the nice, the dude. final one, it's what do you do for a living? We fondle each other. That is uh, the dateline I saw with Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> was uh, Chris Matthews there? <laughs> Wait, that's not that's not dateline. I don't even I can't even remember what that is. Oh, that's hardball, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I don't even remember. But uh, all right, well, is that all we got on yeah, that? I think it's all we got for this one, man. All right, man. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. Sweet. Welcome to Movie Night, a podcast where we review a different Instant View movie each week. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, uh, welcome to the show. Now, if you can do a little Mickey, we're all set. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? I'm just. Like, yeah, actually. What on the back side, should we say? That's a little scary. I'm, I'm kind of seeing a, you know, it's maybe a situation where there might be some pressures. You know, you want to get out of the food Go to www.movienightpodcast.wordpress.com.
we're back with our final movie of this episode. As I've been going over the internet and looking at uh, little uh, horror news and whatnot, it seems like this movie, House of the Devil from 2009... I can tell you like it. I love it. It's perfect. About the deposit, I'll agree to waive all the deposit stuff. You just give me the first month's down, we'll call it a day, all right? It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? Oh, it's gonna work out. Be enough for only eighty-four dollars in a bank account and a check to write on Monday. You know what you should do. Hi, I'm calling in regards to the babysitter flyer posted outside my dorm. The next big eclipse is now well underway. We're just dropping you out here in the middle of wherever we are. don't have a child. They lied to you. I know, okay, I know you're right. But it's $400. This equals first month's rent and then some, and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Actually, is getting a lot of coverage, podcasts, news sites, and everything else like that. So, once I mean, and, and it's too late. I actually read a few reviews of that uh, in that type of thing, but and I, and I was kind of I tried to stay away from it. But um, no, this this is getting a lot of praise on the internet. Oh yeah, I mean it's a lot of buzz, kind of like trick or treat. I mean, we heard about this for a while while it was in the uh, like convention circuit. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, everybody's been waiting for this movie for a while. You know, and it's funny because I had never even heard about this until, um, it, uh, it did this come out, did this come in theaters? Well, I heard it had, like, a limited run, kind of like An- Antichrist, oh, okay. but, and this was around the same time as Antichrist or Antichrist. Oh, I hated Antichrist. Either. I never saw that. Oh. You'll probably want to see it just because everybody will talk about it and be like, what the crap? And then you'll watch it and you'll be like, oh, that was stupid. But that's what happened to me. I'm like, I don't really want to watch this until they keep, I kept hearing about it and hearing about it. I'm like, damn it, I'm going to want to watch this until I watch it. So I watched it. Now I don't care that I watched it. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, no, but this, I think this has been, uh, you know, getting a lot of, uh, on the, obviously this is kind of an independent movie. It's, it's been getting a lot of praise. Uh, it's actually directed by Ty West, who... Uh, directed The Roost. Did you ever see The Roost? No, I heard it's pretty good, though, and it has Tom Noonan also. It does have, yeah, it does have Tom Noonan in it, and it's, uh, I think it's about giant vampire bats. I've, I've 
seen the first part of it, and that's actually a really low budget film as well. However, this uh, it's it's not as uh, this House of the Devil is not as low budget as that. Um, but Ty West actually went on to let's see to direct Cabin Fever Two, Spring Fever. And um, have you seen that one yet? No, I heard he was trying to get the Alan Smithy name put on it though. Yeah, and which is which is totally weird to me because I really loved Cabin Fever too. <laughs> I have it on my next my Netflix queue. I'm just waiting for it. Do you? It was. Uh, I mean, and obviously, it, it was actually a totally different kind of movie than uh, House of the Devil because that was fun and light, and it was it was gross, and it was you know splatter here, you know uh, sex and all sorts of weird stuff. But uh, uh, you know, this was also written by Ty West, um, who also gets edit uh, get some of the editing credits as well. Um, the IMDb score was six point six, so you know, I guess that's above average. But uh, have you? I mean, have you heard a lot of mixed reviews? Because I've really only heard good stuff. Oh man, no, I've actually heard several of people that just cannot stand this movie. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was talking it up one day on one of the. I think it was on the bloody disgusting forums, which I have no idea why I go on there at all anyway, <laughs> because there are a bunch of assholes on there. Sorry if anybody uh-huh. is from that forum. But uh, no offense, but you're an asshole. Yeah, you know, stop being a dick. But <laughs> but but. A lot of people were on there talking about, you know, it's just uh, another ripoff of the 80s, just a piece of shit movie. I'm like, dude. A ripoff of the 80s? I thought it was, you know. It's an homage. Exactly, it's an homage. (laughs) And Ty West even said that this was based off of, um, you know, child kidnappings and, you know, mutilations that were going on in the early 80s. I think one of the best things that I liked about this movie is that uh, they actually set this as a period piece in the 80s. And... They I, they did a really good job of recreating all all that uh, you know this is the '80s probably you know before the giant bangs and and um, you know all that stuff of maybe the the mid to late '80s uh, you you don't remember those days very much do you no this one actually was uh, they said took place in '83 and oh, okay. I was one <laughs> wow you're a, you're a young one I thought the fi- the film yeah. quality in this movie was awesome dude like the they had like a grain on it like it was shot with what, it looked like the same kind of film that Rob Zombie used for uh, Devil's Rejects. Well, they actually shot this film in 16 millimeter just to get that nostalgia. Oh, because that's why. And, you know, and, the th- and I was going to say that there, I mean, there were a lot of things about this movie that that uh, just made it seem so genuine. Um, for instance, uh, uh, you think when you think period piece, you think of you know old school. You know, like maybe, for instance, uh, the the Wolfman or or uh, the Blood on Satan's Claw or whatever. Um, but the thing is, is it's actually, uh, I mean, they do a good job of finding cars, you know, that were of that year. Of like, for instance, tell uh, uh, they had telephone, like, pay paper cups, telephones, things like that. You know, and uh, it's actually, I th- I think they did a really good job of recreating that. I mean, it's not like a bygone era that's so long away, but you know, still, how hard, I wonder how hard it was to to get all that stuff, you know, nowadays. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, on the features, they were talking about how they basically bought every prop off of eBay. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, they just went on there and bought like all the Coke cups and you know, bulk and all that kind of stuff. I actually thought that this was just kind of a a hippie, you know, hippie girl in the beginning. I didn't realize that it was supposed to be in the '80s until they go to that. Um, that diner and get some pizza, and I'm like, holy crap, those are some old Coke cups. <laughs> I, you know, how I said I didn't check out a lot of uh, reviews. I did check out one, um, and I think this this guy had a really interesting thing to say. 
Um, and this was uh, this was actually a guy named Alex from bleedforit.blogspot.com, and he did a review on House of the Dead. Uh, or sorry, House of the House of the Dead, House of the Devil. Um, oh, basically, <laughs> yeah, they're totally two completely. Couldn't be farther away movies, except for they're both horror, I guess. Anyways, um, he was talking about how this was a serious look. You know, this was a serious movie that just happened to take place in the 80s as opposed to, you know, a lot of the self-referential, you know, wink-wink type of things. Like, kind of got me thinking about it didn't, like, revel in the fact that this was the 80s. You know, it didn't, like, holy cow, look how look how awesome my my Nintendo Entertainment System is with Robbie the Robot or, you know, whatever else. It You know, it, it was just, it was very organic and natural. Um, I also, th- I, I think, though, that if they would have gone with the type of... Uh, I don't know, like scream type of mentality where, oh my gosh, you know, here this and this and we're it's funny. Like all know, the pop culture stuff. Exactly. I I just think that would have just kind of ruined this whole movie, you know. And I I don't necessarily think that that's ever that was ever you know intended or and they decided against that or anything. But it just seems that uh, uh, I don't I don't know what it is, but a lot of films kind of take the easy way out and use that type of thing to. You know, which, you know, I'm not saying is necessarily bad, but it's just kind of the a way to not have to follow through 100%, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh, yeah. You know, the thing I just absolutely loved about this movie, it was that from the beginning credits all the way until the end credits, this movie was 100% 80s. Like, if you, absolutely. if you put this movie in your DVD player and just watch it and you didn't know when it was made you could act, this could pass for a movie that was made back in 83 you know it's funny you say that because my, i actually had my wife help me with the 6 degrees and uh, she looked on imdb and she's like she's like no i can't find this movie and i i wouldn't have said it's right there because no that was made in 2009 i'm all yeah that's this movie and she could not believe it and I was like, yeah, that's it. you know and this is this is just when jocelyn donahue who played samantha and uh was on it but you know i guess she's i mean i i obviously knew it was it was uh you know from 2009 or at least fairly recently because uh d wallace the landlady was old oh yeah she looked really bad yeah. well, well you know i mean I, <laughs> she's getting, she's just getting old you know but the thing is is it's like i think that that was it. you're right i think that if i didn't know that she was you know back in 83 she was a you know a really hot and whatever that you know i i wouldn't have known well you know but in 2007's rob zombie halloween movie d yeah. wallace looked pretty nice i mean I, it's weird that uh, i don't remember two it. years can just make you look like a troll well and you also have to realize that maybe it had a lot to do with the makeup or the style that she was wearing her hair in or or whatever too so who knows oh holy crap dude i mean, I, 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 I just <laughs> totally realized something man what? <laughs> I didn't do the six degrees for the last one, dude. What the, what the fuck's going on with this episode, dude? What the crap? I, you know what? Let's take a moment to go back because I actually have a six degrees as well. Yeah, I do too, and I'm sitting here. Oh man, gosh, what the? What we're dropping the ball today, man? Hey, you know I'm gonna chalk it up to the freaking lack of sleep this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? I give that to you. I just don't know if if our listeners who have just become accustomed to such high quality on this podcast are going to buy it. Yeah, and we're not going to get any voicemails next week. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. The six degrees I had for the Sentinel, man, it was Gary Allen who played Malcolm Stinnett. He was in the Hudsucker Proxy with Bruce Campbell. Wow. You just wasted Wow. <laughs> anyway, let's just go with that because I, I got mine on like three steps. Anyways, back to House of the Devil. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and edit that in. Are you? No, no, I'm, no, no. I'm oh, not. So that would be a lot of work. <laughs> that's, that's just too much work. So, okay, so, well, you know, let, let's quit talking about how how awesome it was in the 80s and with the orange uh, headphones and the giant-ass uh, uh, tape player that that I can't believe she didn't, like, tip her over because she was wearing it on her belt. <laughs> uh, let's see, Jocelyn Donahue played Samantha. I think that she had a look, a very natural look, you know, of, of you know, the 80s and whatever. She, she really I, did, man. Am I am I just an idiot and I I can't fathom the fact that makeup and stuff like that is just good enough to to make people look like this? But um, you know, because you got to realize, I mean, you, I mean, you look at all the uh, the uh, the girls and stuff in like Friday the Thirteenth. Some of them are really cute, but they weren't like freaking knockouts, like you know, in the like in some of the new remakes and stuff. They weren't like so pretty. It was distracting, you know. Well, and I think Gray on the Dark Hours podcast had talked about this movie and he'd said something about how this girl on her imdb page looks completely different she looks like you know a young hot little girl or or not little girl but hot young girl on there and so maybe it's just me and my inability for my brain to fathom the 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 makeup department of a different film's ability to make these girls look like they can you know fit in in the 80s or the 1700s or whatever and they did a really excellent job i mean all the way to the uh hungry ass jeans she had man we're her ass was eating her jeans. <laughs> Dude, you know what's funny is I, I just I, I kept watching this thinking, man, those pants are not flattering. No, not not at all. And that was cool too. They didn't try to make her like a, a sex symbol. They just you know they went straight up with her character. Yeah, they did. And it and uh, you know this was even like I said. I mean, she even had the feathered hair, which looked really natural. It didn't look dyed. It didn't look, you know anything like that. So. Hey, wasn't wasn't uh, hungry ass a song from Dirty Dancing? I think yeah. <laughs> Hungry ass. Oh yeah, that that was yes. a song from that. Hungry, yeah, it was. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Tom Noonan played Mr. Omen. Tom Noonan, uh, you you will probably recognize from uh, Manhunter. We mentioned the Roost, Eight Legged Freaks, Robocop Two is Kane. I think it was Kane. Was it Kane? Kane. And and uh, Monster Squad. I just couldn't remember the guy's name. Uh, Mary Warnoff, which was uh, played Mrs. Omen, was in The Devil's Rejects. Um, and uh, Warlock from the 80s. Who was she in Devil's Rejects? I don't, I don't remember, but I do remember her face. I remember what she looked like in the Devil's Rejects, but I cannot pinpoint what part she was in. Wow. I didn't, anyway, think, I didn't I, think of that. And then uh, she was also in Silent Night, Dead, uh, Bloody Night. Sorry, uh, Greta Gerwig played Megan. A.J. Bowen played, played Victor Ullman. Dee Wallace, as we mentioned, played the landlady. And Heather Robb played Heather. Um, and we'll do a quick overview because this is kind of another film where it's like uh, the anticipation is the key for the enjoyment of this movie, I, in my opinion. I, I think that uh, there's always a question of uh, what exactly is going on. Actually, there there is one scene that kind of blows that, uh, in my opinion. But uh, it, it kind of gives us maybe a little bit too much information. But the whole thing is the anticipation and the build-up to to um, the, the the climax at the end of the movie. Anyway, so so here we have Samantha Hughes living in her dorm, and uh, of course, living in, as if living in a dorm isn't bad enough. Her roommates always uh, 
um, you know, making sweet, sweet love to her boyfriend in there. So it, you know, it's kind of makes it uh, uncomfortable for her. So she's looking for a, a place to rent. Um, she find, uh, she, she's actually at the beginning of the movie, being shown a, a kind of a house that's owned by D. Wallace, and I, th- I thought it was funny because it's only three hundred bucks a month. I'm like, oh damn, it's like a three story house. I know. Huh, I need to move myself into a three hundred dollar a month. And uh, well, it turns out that uh, of course she she really loves the place, and, and it's kind of cool because D. Wallace really wants her to rent this place. Uh, problem is that she only has like eighty seven dollars in the bank. So as she's walking by the campus one day, she uh, you know later that day she sees a flyer on a kiosk that's uh, you know has basically advertising a job for a babysitter and she needs money of course so she calls up the guy and uh it was just kind of a weird experience the guy on the other end of the phone was just kind of strange uh actually made an appointment with her and stands her up on it um he calls later and uh even though you know she's kind of put off by the whole situation where he's not only kind of weird but he's uh, he stood her up i think she's pretty hard up for money so she she ends up uh, accepting the the babysitter job um to the chagrin of her best friend heather is that right is her name is her best friend's name yes that heather's the blonde Okay. Um, anyways, as this was going on, there was uh, a lot of talk, like on the evening news, things like that, and uh, even the girls talk a little bit about it, about a full uh, lunar eclipse that's going on. Um, anyways, uh, later the, later on in the day, her uh, her friend uh, was it Heather or Megan? Oh man, now I'm second guessing it. Oh. Yeah. I, anyway, I have I have a friend Megan took her up to the took her up to the place where where the the babysitting job was and it was dark and this place apparently was out in the boonies so I mean it was a little bit of a drive you know and it was a pretty secluded area. Um, anyway, she goes in. She meets Tom Noonan, and uh, later on she meets his wife, who is played by Mary Warnoff. Um, and it, it's kind of weird because there's a couple of indi- indicators to her that she really should not take this job. For instance, um, they change the, the job, uh, what's going on with the job with her instead of a, a baby or a kid. It's actually an elderly woman who they tell her needs to be just kind of watched. And, uh, of course she's, I mean, I'd be uncomfortable with that too, because let's just say, let's say there was some sex going on and that old lady came down and saw it. She'd freak the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, anyways, a lot of strange things happen. A lot of uh, um, just not not flat out things that would you know just be a real indicator of let's get out of here or anything like that. But I think a lot of little things built up to a point where you know where it just got really weird for her. And uh, anyways, I think that's kind of uh, let, let's just say the rest of the movie. I guess she's kind of getting getting to know the house a little bit, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Anyway, uh, you know, it's a pretty good uh, synopsis of what we wanted to cover. Yeah, that, I mean, that covers pretty much everything that you would need to without without giving anything away in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so what did you, what did you think about it, dude? I thought this is by far the best of this kind of movie, and I'm not going to say what exactly, but. I, I thought it pulled off what a lot of movies have tried to pull off in this subgenre, and mm-hmm. I really liked that. And there was some really, there was some awesome fo- foreshadowing in this movie, man. Where I, I didn't notice it the first time, but you know, when I went back and watched it again, there's mm-hmm. a lot of just even just little lines that I don't even think maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but they go along with what happens later in the movie, right. and I really liked that. Well- 
You know, and I I actually think Tom Noonan especially played a really good character. I mean, here's this guy who's, who's I mean, really tall, but he's so very soft-spoken. And he kind of comes off as this tortured, you know, gentle giant type of a deal. You know, he, he's, he speaks in a very formal tone, and he's very, you know, he's very polite. And, you know, he's, I mean, he's creepy, but at the same time, you don't feel like he's a threat. Yeah, he's charming. You know? He's creepy, but charming. Like yeah. I don't know if it, I don't know if wait, it's charming wait. as much as it, like you said, soft spoken. Well, I think I think what it is is he kind of sets sets you at ease. I mean, I, I I don't know if I would use the word charming either, but but basically you think, oh, here's a soft spoken guy, who, um, you know, is is in this dire situation apparently, and even though he lied to me about it being an old lady instead of a kid. You know, he he looks sincere enough to kind of let me put my guard down, and she actually ends up doing it because he offers to pay her four hundred bucks. You know. Yeah, and he gives her what like half of it before he leaves. And yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, and he tells her, you know, if you if you at the end of the night, I'll give you the other half. You know, I guess just so she right. doesn't bail or something. Right. You know, um, I would like to actually see if Tom Noonan's ever done like an audio book or something like that. He does. He, he kind of has a, a nice, uh, kind of a, just kind of a soft-spoken type of voice. And I'm not, I, I, I mean, this was obviously, it was, it was more for the movie. That I, I don't know if he's obviously this soft-spoken in real life or whatever. But he really pulls it off well, and he, he does, his voice kind of puts you at ease. Oh, he was, he was a great actor in this movie, man. Like, he's a great, he's a great actor anyway. But in this mm-hmm. movie, I think he was, hands down, the best performance. I and, I and I completely agree with you there. And and that's not to say that the other ones were bad at all because I mean um I think the girl the main girl did a great job too. And really um she had to there uh, when she gets in the house there's a period of time where um it's just her like a long ass time like 45 minutes, you know. Yeah. And uh, where it's just her I I have one confession to make. I that part of the movie really kind of lost. Did it really? Yeah, I mean, it was. It got to a point where I was, um, where she was, you know, going back and forth, checking out the house, kind of doing some exploring, and then um, she turns on her, uh, her, uh, like her Walkman to the fix. Oh yeah, and and danced around a little. And I was just like, I, I, I mean, I don't. That kind of lost me. I, I kind of I started fast forwarding and stuff like that because it was just I think it was just a little too much for me. And I know that uh, apparently I'm a big jerk for that. It, that didn't bother me, man, at all. <laughs> I mean, you're not a jerk for it. I mean, I can understand that that is a very very long period of time. It's a big chunk of the movie. Right. I liked uh-huh. that because for me, you, you, the movie's called House of the Devil, and up until this point, nothing's happened. So. When she's right. doing all this in the house and she's discovering little things, like she finds that picture with a, a different family standing in front of the car, right. you know, stuff like that, it was kind of an indic- indicator to maybe kind of go look around some more in the house. But I, I really dug that because there were a lot of little scares there that... Well, and the house was an awesome setting, again, you know. For this creepy type of atmosphere. Did you read that house was actually a museum? I did not know that. I did not read Well, that. I think... Wait, let me see. I saw two different movies. Yeah, this house was... Yeah, it was a museum. And what happened was... Am I... Like an antiques museum or something. I may mm-hmm. be completely off. That may have been another movie. It was either... It was either <laughs> an, a lady who does arts house or 
something like that. But anyway, she would only allow them to shoot at night. Oh, yeah, really? Because, you know, I guess they didn't want light damaging. Uh, well, I don't, that doesn't make sense either. I don't know. Something like that. There's something about she didn't want a bunch of people in her house during the day or something. Maybe, maybe. I wouldn't want a bunch of people in my house anyway. It could have been because of operating hours. Maybe that's when she had all the Johns over. I don't know, man. I don't know how hookers run their shit. Well, well uh, even though you say that, I'm not going to believe yeah. Um You know, one thing about this is I think it really went for kind of the Hitchcock vibe. Um, I just don't think that, obviously, I don't think that the the tension for me, because it got really, I mean, it was really kind of tense and, and, and weird and, and kind of foreboding until... Tom Noonan left. I mean, there were a few scenes, you know, for instance, uh, what, you know, what happens in the graveyard and, uh, you know, a couple other weird little things like that. And, uh, you know, some strange things about a pizza that she orders anyways. But, you know, it's like, it wasn't handled with the same master's touch as Hitchcock would have probably handled this and i think that it had a, a, some momentum going albeit it still was a slow burn it had some momentum going but it really just lost me in the middle and i know that uh, a lot of people are going to disagree with me there uh, i know i mean it makes sense i mean i i really enjoy this movie a lot but i can see that i mean i've heard a lot of people say that it was just a boring movie and and i don't know if maybe you have to put yourself in the mind frame to watch something that's slow up until the last 10 minutes you know, and the problem is, is I, I kind of felt like I could. I kind of felt like I was right along with her until that until part. Until she started dancing. Well, that really was the icing of the shit cake for me. <laughs> and and I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean this movie was shitty, but uh, but it was, you know, so kind of slow, slow, boring, slow. And then uh, she does that, and I'm just like, ugh. That's, I did not like that. And also, there was, I think there was one mistake that was made where... Um, here we are not still not knowing what's going on. And then they kind of give the, the, they give us as the audience a glimpse of what's going on, but she doesn't see what's going on. And they still kind of keep going with the, with the slow stuff, you know, cause do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. And I, cause right at that point, I'm like, sweet, let's get on with the killing or, you know, not, not really, but I mean, let's, let's. Let's get this show on the road. Type it was of kind of a, a split shot of a, you know. Yeah. yeah I, that scene, it didn't really bother me, but I agree that if they'd left it out, it still would have, it still would have been just as suspenseful. Well, and I think that, I think that it wouldn't have kind of left that longing in me, you know, whereas I, I was kind of going along, going along with it. And then I saw it and I'm like, oh, sweet, here it comes. And it didn't come for a while. It, <laughs> Oh, that was really nasty. <laughs> I I, uh, I was going to say something. I can't remember now, man. Thanks, dude. <laughs> yeah, that knocked it right out of your brain. No, I mean, it didn't, it didn't take too much longer after that scene. It was probably a good 15, 20 minutes away. But there were yeah. a lot of things that happened that were just... And she got to the point where she almost... She did call 911 because she didn't yeah. know what to do and things weren't making sense. And right. you can almost put yourself there. You know, this is a girl who's desperate for money and she has to have she has to have a certain amount of money in the next few days so right. she puts herself in a situation that may be not you know not the best situation for a, a young girl yeah she starts uh hooking 
<laughs> but uh, no, I, I agree with you. And the thing is, is I see, I, I totally get your point. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you to get you to succumb to to my point of view because I can totally see the other side of the coin, you know. And so it's, I mean, not that I would argue with anybody till they see my point of view, anyways. <laughs> and you know, I, I, as far as horror movies are concerned. But um, you know, I, I think I think this just has a lot to do with not necessarily personal taste because I honestly don't mind a slow burn movie. I don't. Know, I guess I really can't explain my not necessarily disdain, but my my um, I, I one way or the other. I just kind of I was just kind of hoping this movie would move, would get a move on. Yeah, that's that's the most common complaint with this movie. Yeah. It is. I mean, you you should go to I think it's. Uh, Amazon or IMDb, I was looking at the ratings on there, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's pretty much every other rating is a bad one, and that's... Well, maybe I'm one of the unwashed masses, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I really can see, I, th- I can see this movie for all, all the positive things it did. You can't give an, enough credit to Ty uh, for really making this seem legitimately an 80s movie, and... Uh, uh, also, you know, with not only the the 16 millimeter film, but with all the you know the the little, it, it basically seemed like he dotted every i and crossed every t. Oh yeah, all the way down to everything that was going on in it. I mean, even yep. the pizza shop that they were eating at the beginning of the movie had you know those you know those little touches to it. Anyway, so uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Obviously, we don't want to give it away, but I want to say one thing. That that uh, I I don't think that the the payoff really made up for you don't really with me no I, I you know and I don't and again I know that uh, I I know that uh, I don't know I guess maybe not as much as I thought before but I know I'm going to get a lot of crap for that I just you know it just didn't it didn't really seem like it was a big enough payoff to kind of sit through that much slow. Well, and the the payoff is kind of what I was saying earlier about how this is what I feel is the best of the subgenre. Right. Is was basically the very end of the movie because I thought the payoff. I'm on the other extreme where I thought it was really awesome. Well, I think it was executed fine. You know, I think it was an interesting execution. It was. I think it was a good ending. Everything in there was basically um, done well. I just, like I said, I just don't think it was worth the, the waiting. The memory count on this movie was zero. A zip. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, I don't know if it had any opportunities for that. What would you give this movie? I'm going to give it a rent. I would give this uh, a high buy. I mean, it's not, I can see why people, I mean, I know people that did like Trick or Treat and movies like that. And, All right. So, I mean. It's very slow, and the rewatchability on it, like, I watched it the second time last night, and uh-huh. even though it was really slow, I mean, it's still, there were a couple little scenes that kind of got me to jump, <laughs> which, and I knew it was going to happen, I knew exactly, <laughs> right, but, uh, do you have a kick in the balls? Um, I do have a kick in the balls, roll in my kick in the balls with what I learned, okay, and uh, I'll just tell you what I learned, and then I think you get who I will give the kick in the balls to. Uh, if someone asks you if you're a babysitter, you say yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Because that part was actually, was actually, wow, what? What just happened? Wow. That was actually, that was a pretty, that was a pretty intense moment. Agreed. Yeah. 
So you so you know who got my kick in the balls. Oh, I do have an extra one. Uh, the roommate because uh, she didn't offer a three way when doing when uh, doing it in the in the dorm. I think room. the dude was offering it with that look he was giving her. Well, the dude, but come on, we all know that the woman controls that type of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> barking <laughs> up that tree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, my kick in the balls actually goes to the same person, and I really can't say why, but he's kind of a puss. And, and, and it goes with the end of the movie because he turns into a puss real fast. Oh, he okay, I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I thought he was going to be like a very like menacing character, and he turned out to really not be. And that was played by a, that guy, the guy we're talking about is Victor Ullman. Yes. I, I think we can tell who it is. It's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ullman's son. Obviously. He was played by Billy Mays. <laughs> Kind of. Billy Mays after uh, not trimming his beard after probably a couple of weeks, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he, he was he was a pretty cool character, and you can see, yeah. I don't want to give anything away, but you can kind of see how he links up with a lot of the other stuff in the movie. Agreed. Um, did you get any more, uh, what else did I learn, or what did I learn? Uh, no. I, let's see. Actually, um, I got, I learned that hard candy isn't only for the elderly. Yeah, you know, that was actually a funny little scene, too. It wasn't like funny, haha, let's take you out of the movie. It was funny, like, because, you know, she basically, her friend comes over, and her friend's kind of a loud mouth. She starts taking, like, little candies and things like that, and, of course, there's one that's really gross. It was funny. I mean, and like I said, that was still to the point where I was enjoying the movie, you know. Well, she takes, like, a handful of those candies, too, man. And puts it in her purse. And (laughs) And they just, they look gross, dude. Um, I learned that turning all the faucets on not only helps you pee, but it also helps you the, it helps the tears flow. <laughs> yes, it does. She started bawling, dude. She went into the bathroom and turned on every faucet and started crying. Oh, nice. Did you get it? Who else said that? Uh, no, I did not. Gosh, dang! You're pull, you're pulling out a lot of my a lot of my. Um, I think I I think I forgot to do that. I just forget to think about that while I'm watching the movies. Because Sam always did that. Here, I got one, man. <laughs> Let's hear. I promise to make this as painless for you as possible. That's what Tom Cruise's wives have all told him right before sex. Right. <laughs> that poor Tom. Oh, yeah. Poor guy. Poor little guy. <laughs> He's like three feet tall. Anyway. <laughs> he gets all these hot women yeah, and he went, wants nothing to do with yeah, them. He, he was one of the freaks in uh, The Sentinel. Anyway. Um, so, is that all we got? Yeah, man. I think that's uh, everything for that. Oh, I have a six degrees. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we almost forgot again. Yes, we did. We couldn't go back. Tom Noonan was in Manhunter with Brian Cox. I uh, did not use his poor name notice. Cox. No, don't say it. Uh, you're too late. Who was in For Love of the Game with Kelly Preston, who was in Sky High with Bruce. He was in Sky High? Sonic Boom! <laughs> he was in Sky High with Kelly Preston, and I was in Kelly Preston. <laughs> you wish. Oh, she's too hot for John Travolta. Hey, baby. Go hang out with Johnny. Hey, <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be awesome. Wire <laughs> out to OKC. All right, is there anything else no, you got? No, that's it, man. All right, so now that everybody can tell that we've got the, the voicemails working for us, I uh, want to go ahead and throw that number out. Uh, it's 206-339-2730. 206-339-2730. We expect a bunch of, uh, of voicemails. No, I'm just teasing. Um, also, you can get a hold of us. Email Mike at cadaverlab.com. Uh, email Johnny at cadaverlab.com. 
and uh, go. Uh, let, let's pimp your thing, man. Go over to uh, Cruder Nation. What is it? Uh, what's the URL? It's uh, uh, YouTube.com/slash/user/slash/CrugerNation. There you and go. I and promise see, I will put a new video up. Put see Ricky Schroeder as uh, in the flesh. Hey man, you know what? We got silver spoons and silver bullets. <laughs> oh, that that should be your new uh, motto for the show. <laughs> anyway, so is that all we got for this episode? Yeah, man. All right, so if that's it, uh, we will see you. Cheers.